Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Static Traveller podcast, the podcast where I speak to travellers of the past and the present from around the globe, and I let them tell you in their own words about their adventures throughout this amazing world. Now, today's guest on the Static Traveller podcast is none other than Simon Lister. Now, Simon has been working for UNICEF for the last number of years. Uh, he also has a series um, or a couple of episodes on Netflix, um, which I'm sure you'll hear about today as well as a very distinguished uh, photography career and audio sound engineering career. Um, Episode 20 is a massive milestone for me. So why don't you sit back, relax, and enjoy this 20th episode of The Static Traveller. Thank you to everyone for listening and watching. And if you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button down below. If you hit that bell button, you'll get a notification every time we drop a new video. And also, if you leave a, a review on, if you're listening on Apple Podcast or if you're listening on Spotify, because it does really go a long way to helping other people find the Static Traveller podcast. So, a big thank you, 20 episodes down, and here's to another 20. Hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Static Traveller with me, James. <laughs> And, and so are you, you sound English, what, what's your story? So I'm from Scotland. Scotland, sorry, yeah. Scotland, um, so I am 27. Uh, yep. I work full time uh, for a, like a pension company. Yep. Um, so I'm a manager in there. Um, today I've, I've got the day off. Um, nice. I'm a bit of a, a, a geek. Um, when Geeks it comes are good, to I'm a stuff. geek as well. Uh, yeah, I do a, a bit of collecting, so I've got a big collection to the side of me there. Of uh, what do you of, collect? Uh, don't laugh at me, but I collect Pokemon no, no. cards. What are they? <laughs> Pokemon cards. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, and why do you do that? <laughs> it's just a, a, an attachment from childhood. I think I've still still got them yeah. uh, on my ones from yeah. when I was a kid. And uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of hoping that one day that. When, when my, I've got a little girl as well, she's six. Awesome. Um, so she, when she grows up, she can sell them on, and you know that will help her as well. Because like some of the some of the stuff that I've got from when I was younger, the, the value of them is just through the roof. Yeah, you, um, you can sell up, and you can probably become a millionaire and sort of go and retire <laughs> on an island somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> collection. Um, yeah. So. Um, but yeah, I started the podcast about six months ago um, for a couple of different reasons. My friend, he's got a podcast and he does digital art. Um, yep. So he's um, he he's been doing. We started in college together uh, about about eight years ago, where we both yep. started doing media and stuff like that. Um, he kind of stuck with it. Uh, met my my new wife, um, and then we had my little girl. So I, I kind of went off the the track and this is me kind of getting my way back into it the, getting back yeah. getting your time back yeah so, uh, <laughs> so this is me this my, is just sorry, sorry, 
Oh, sorry, got a bit of delay. My 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 wife is building up all her credits as well for all my trips I've been doing by myself. So she's she's got a bank full of credit there of um going going having fun. <laughs> she's building that up. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's a uh, it's for, for someone that, that you know my work is quite office related. So right now I'm working from home. You know, my only holidays I get is annual leave. Which you know it isn't. It's, it's, you know, everybody wishes they could have more. Um, yeah. So I think for me this is a way of, of getting to hear stories of other people, but also at the same time is that you know there's people out there that, that don't get to travel. There's people that mm. that can't travel, you know, and they want to hear all this kind of stuff. So yeah, um, we all pretty much all can't travel at the moment. What state are you in? So, no, I'm not America, sorry, I'm Scotland. You're in Scotland? Yeah. And that's yeah. why I've UK. always been confused, eh? I've always thought you are in, in America. And that's why our time zone's okay, because usually at 8 o'clock at night I'm going, oh, that's really early in America. <laughs> it's like 4 or 5 in the morning. I'm kind of going, oh, okay, this, this guy wants to get up early. But So you're actually – and are you in lockdown, like you, you, you're at home a lot of the time, or do you still go yeah. to the office? So, no, we're, we're, myself and my wife, we're both working from home. Yeah. So, right now, I'm in my little office um, that is, it's in the middle of getting decorated, so that's why I've got a big white wall behind me. Uh, still need yeah. to figure out something to put behind me. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're, we're still pretty much in lockdown. We have some, so we've started opening up restaurants and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Still a bit hesitant about it, but. And how's it been for you? Can you still do your job okay at home and yeah. everything's? I'm guessing for you that there's not really been that much of an impact. Yeah, so like my day job is um, I've got a sound studio that I own. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in partnership with some partners, but we've got offices in New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, um, Austin, Sydney, and Melbourne. And yep. I'm in Sydney. And we do soundtracks for TV commercials and, and documentaries and that kind of thing. We did all the sound on Towers by Light Show. I did my own sound. <laughs> um, so that's my day job, really. And our whole network is at home. Quite a lot of the composers that do all the music, they've got their own little home studios. So that's all fine. Producers can work from home. They're usually on a cell phone anyway. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm still in the office. Like, I've still got... I still go into the studio every day. I haven't had that time to be at home during COVID. Mm-hmm. So I've been at the office and then I've got one other guy in Sydney and now I've got about five in Sydney now, six full, t- um, full time back going back into the studios. Well, but everywhere else in the whole network is all at home. So Melbourne is in a much bigger lockdown than we are. They've been had a bit of a resurgence. So they're yeah. working all at home with their studios, all, all taken out of the studios and then taken at home, all the computers. So we actually, we actually during this time busier than probably um, normal mm-hmm. because I guess, you know, advertisers, they, they, they've got to keep changing their messaging depending on what the current situations are. So yeah. instead of doing one out a year, we're doing like three because, you know, it's lockdown during lockdown, coming out of lockdown and then we've got the second surge. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of, messaging and we do a lot of ads for like banks and insurance companies and a lot of those you know sort of big corporations that need to tell their customers you know um information you know that, yeah. that's, that's related to them so 
we've been um, quite busy with that. And all our sessions are, are like this. We have Zoom or Skype and all our clients and everybody all hops on that. And then I've got the voiceover comes into my studio and they've got their own little video camera. And we all just work remote and it's works fantastic. It's been really, really good. Yeah. Um, I've actually quite enjoyed that, that way of working. I mean, I, I love my clients coming into the studio, but this, this way it seems to be like a little bit of a, I guess a little bit of a wall taken down because everybody's in the same situation, they're all at home, they're all in their lounge, they've got kids running around, they've got dogs barking. And you know, it's, it's, it's a different scenario now. We've also got clients all on the same link as well. Yeah. And they're in the same situation. So we, 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 we're also having a lot more clients involved now on, on the actual sessions. We're used to be just the agency and we do the job and then take it away and then we've got to redo it again because the client wants to change it. But now we've got the client on the actual session as well and they make the decision and they go approve, bang. Yeah. And it's just been, this, the system works really, really well. And we've got very high quality internet so we can actually feed them a really good high quality audio signal and we can send the pictures down the line as well. So they can view it on their phone or in their car or, or in the kitchen, you know, having breakfast. So it's kind of, it's been working out really well. Thank, thank God and lucky, lucky for us for that. It's, um, we haven't had to lay off any, any staff or, yeah. or change our situation too much. So just basically working, most of us working at home, except for a couple of us. Um, so that's changed. You know, we've got all these empty studios around the world, but we're producing the same amount of output, if not more, and that's been looking fine. Brilliant. So yeah. tell us a bit about Simon. So for everyone that doesn't know who you are, you know, what you kind of do, who's Simon Lister? Simon Lister is, was born in New Zealand, so I'm a Kiwi. Yep. Um, I grew up on a farm. Is it, is it Chur? Is that right? Chur? Chur. Chur. Is that it? Chur. <laughs> Poi. Um, it's a choice. Um, but we, um, I grew up on a farm and I had a motorbike and I will just, as a kid, ride around the paddocks all day long, just round and round on the paddocks on those motorbikes. And, um, that, you know, I started really young, so I kind of got okay or pretty good on, on a motorbike, pulling wheelies and things, you know? <laughs> so I grew up on a farm and I loved that. And then I think being in New Zealand, you just, it's a very small population and there's a lot of grass. So you get to kind of, um, be quite adventurous. Yeah. You know, you, you get a lot of opportunities in New Zealand. I think it's a smaller country. So, you know, you, you, when I was young, when I was doing, say, sound, so I got a job at Radio New Zealand, which is like um, the radio network for all of New Zealand, and they look after, like, 95 radio stations. That, that wasn't your first choice, though, was it? That was... No. I no. So you've been reading up on me. Oh, I've done my research. Wow, where'd you find that? <laughs> Where's that? Where's that? Bit? Um, I'm trying to think where that is online. Or oh, maybe it's, I know it's probably on my website, right? In my info. Oh, I can't tell you. No. Secrets. Secrets of the Some secret. So <laughs> I wanted to be a, um, a cameraman at Television New Zealand. And I didn't have a, um, a job for me at that time. And I said, why don't you just go and try Radio New Zealand? I think they're, they're employing at the moment. So I went there as a kid, like 19, and got the job. Um, and then I, I moved from Hamilton, my hometown, left my mum and dad, and I moved down to the big, the big capital city, Wellington City, and started my first job there at 19. And I was with them only for a year and a half, but I learned so much at that time. I was just, you know, young, and every day we'd be doing different shifts and working in different studios and 
you know, being part of the whole radio network of New Zealand at head office. So you're getting all the latest news and all, all those kind of things. It was, it was a really amazing experience. And while I was working there, um, my boss actually said, oh, look, this, this, this studio called Marmalade Studios is looking for an, an assistant. And I gave him your name. I think you should go and have an interview with them. So, okay, cool. So you don't want me here anymore. Um, so anyway, I went and had an interview and got the job there. And, and the studio is called Marmalade Recording Studios. And for any New Zealanders who are listening to this, Marmalade Recording Studios was kind of the music recording studio of New Zealand, probably the only one. But um, they did a lot of all the famous sort of bands that went, New Zealand bands went through there. It was just an awesome experience. I was in the, there in the late 80s. So I was right in the middle of the music scene and um, I got to work on some of those those songs and albums. But at the, at the most of my job was actually doing commercials like I'm doing now in the side studio. And um, I was there for six years and that was in a bit of the heyday of advertising, I reckon, in New Zealand. It was kind of when everything was just going crazy, you know, kind of advertising world and you know, lots of lunches and crazy times. So that was an amazing experience. And by when I was about 25, I, I met a girl, a very good looking one. I fell in love and she lived in Auckland and I lived in Wellington and we were about eight hours drive between each other. So we used to drive every weekend and meet up in the middle of the island at Lake Taupo at her grandmother's place. And we'll see each other every weekend for months and months and months. And then nine months after meeting her, I married her. And then um, I moved up to Auckland where she was. And I became sort of freelance sound dude amongst all the studios there. So they would hire me and when somebody was sick or that kind of thing. And I was there for about a year, year and a half. And then I got offered a job in Sydney, Australia by another sound studio. I won't, won't mention their name or give any credit because they're my competition now. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'm only joking. They're, they're awesome. So um, a company called Songzoo brought me over to Sydney and I worked with them for six years before I, um, I started my own sound studio business with a business with a partner. Um, so, and that's been what, 19 years almost now. So I've been in Australia for 24 years, 23, so, 24 years. So what age were you when you left New Zealand? How old did you say? Say it again. How old were you when you left New Zealand? I would have been 27, so I'm 52 now. Don't tell anybody. I'm 52 now. <laughs> you and then I, uh, <laughs> I feel it. But I came over and then set up my own sound studios. Basically, we had a family as well. We had two, 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 two children. Um, I, I married in with a stepson as well. From My wife had a, had a boy before um, we, we, we met. And um, he's now living in New York. And he's 30, 31 now, right? So I've got my youngest is 22, just in 22. And he's actually working at, at my sound company here in Sydney. Awesome. And I've been doing sound for 33 years since I was 19. So that was um, my sort of day job and my career path. But, you know, all of us have got hobbies, whether they're, they're collecting Pokemon um, figurines and stuff or, you know, um, traveling or riding motorbikes and taking photos with a camera. So I love yeah. motorbikes. So I think, you know, when you're, when you're in your 20s and 30s, you're sort of building up your life and, you know, you're getting married and you're having kids in your 30s and stuff like that. So all that kind of time. But after, after a while, I sort of settled down. The business was going okay. And I thought, man, I just want to get back into motorbikes and <laughs> making photographs, you know. So 
I um, I started to, I watched a series on TV called A Long Way Around with Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, I've seen it. That's for the, they've done that for, yeah. um, for UNICEF as well, didn't they? They've no. chosen charity. Was oh, it not, was it not for they? charity? Yeah. I think it was for charity and they've they done it for UNICEF. Because he's an ambassador, isn't he, Ewan McGregor? As well. Yes, but I don't know if it's for UNICEF. Oh, let me think. Does, did you read that up? Uh, no, I think I, I've seen it. I've seen it. I, um, I, don't, I don't think he's an ambassador for UNICEF, though, because I probably would have... Oh, maybe... Hmm. I'm not sure if he is, because I've, I've been through the ambassadors as in, like, um, just seeing who they are. He might be, but I don't know how active he is with them, but maybe back then they did choose UNICEF. I'm not sure. Mm. But I love that show, and I thought, oh, my gosh, look where these guys are going. They're, they're riding motorbikes over these crazy countries and landscapes and mountains and all sorts of things, and I thought, I'd love to do that. Yeah. So I started to say, so is he? Did you look it up? I'm just I'm, I'm looking at it just now. Um some of the pictures are absolutely amazing. Um, no, it doesn't really talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember that part, but look, I, could, I could be wrong. But, you know, it just, I think they inspired me to hop on a motorbike. But, you know, me, me being in New Zealand, you know, riding motorbikes on farms and all that kind of thing, I just, I loved adventure and just wanting to go explore different countries as well right i just started getting that bug of of experiencing other cultures you know so i i started to do some research and i saw some steve mccurry photographs that i loved you know that he took in rajasthan india mm-hmm. and i thought imagine going to rajasthan india and taking some photos like that and ride a motorbike so so that I, was that was your first trip wasn't it first trip to Rajasthan, India. I took my brother with me, the two of us went. We found a guide and it was an incredible, incredible experience. We, um, it's one of those things where, you know, it's, it's that leap of faith where you take that jump or you, you flip that switch to on just mm-hmm. to see what's going to happen. Yeah. And you have no idea. And the only thing I did was literally paid my deposit and then I was in. I was gonna to have to go and do this trip. I knew nothing about it. Never been to India before. And I thought, let's just let's just do it. It's gotta be gotta be gotta be fun, right? So we went there and it was just incredible. We rode Royal Enfield motorcycles around Rajasthan, India. So we started in Delhi, went to Agra, Jaipur, um, Yodapur, um, right up to um, now we've got me Jodhpur and Jaisalamir and then went to like a big camel um, fair in the mm-hmm. middle of the desert in, in, in the tar desert. And that, that just was just crazy fun. You know, traffic there was crazy. We experienced the most amazing things on the road, funerals on the road, elephants on the road, um, you know, people just lying on the middle of the road, trucks coming at you on the other side of the road, straight towards you on the motorways. And you're just going, okay, obviously this path is better for you, but hey, I'm in, I'm in the way. <laughs> so it was, it was actually quite quite fun, um, but kind of dangerous, but fun at the same time. Cal- calculated risk, I, I call it. Um, so Rajasthan 
was blew my head off. I thought it was just so much fun. We had a great time. And I said to my tour operator, I said, so what, we have all the tours you do. What, what's your favorite? You know, cause this is him, me thinking he's going to say Rajasthan cause we've just done Rajasthan. He, he, and he says by far the Himalayas, they call them the Himalayas in India. I went, oh, okay. So there's, there's, there's that trip book me in. So the <laughs> next year, my brother and myself again went to India. But this time we rode motorbikes, rode motorbikes over the Himalayas. And that was really, really cool. We were going over some of the highest roads, mountain ball roads in the world. Was it cold? We are going, it was cold, minus five degrees. And this is like this summer. It's only a few months of the year you can actually ride and, and go in there, right? And at that time, there's only three months of the year where they get all the supplies into these towns and cities. So you've got thousands and thousands of these trucks, Tata trucks. Mm -hmm. um, lines and lines of them. So every day you got these big, massive mountain passes and you're passing these trucks. You're going over these cliffs and you're going around them and you're going through ice and everything. And it was like minus five degrees, you're, you're in snow. And we, we rode on a, motor, on a road called the Kadangla Pass. Um, and that was higher than Base Camp Everest, right? So Base Camp Everest is, I think, 5,200 meters. This is 5,700 meters above sea level, this road that we're all on. And you could only be at that height for a certain amount of time because we have oxygen in the support car. So we've got like a support car to help us or just to carry all our luggage in the tents. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's really challenging. And when, when you've been traveling that high or been up that high in the mountains and you've got a lack of oxygen, yeah. your energy is really depleted. And so it's, it's but... So did you, do that, did you do that through your own company or was that, was, was that for I was, work? I was, I was a tourist. Tourist? Yeah. I, I mean, those days, literally, you know, I just, instead of going to, you know, Fiji and, and sitting by the pool and drinking a, you know, pina colada, <laughs> I decided to go on a motorbike into the snow, into the mountains of the Himalayas. And it's, there's these companies, uh, these tour companies, like in India, there's I've got, it's a friend now, and um, Ashish has a company, you know, which basically specializes in tours on rural infield motorcycles. Mm -hmm. And you, you basically, you just pay, pay like a tour fee and you go off and they look after you and they have a support vehicle and all the motorbikes look after the motorbikes for you. See, I'd, love, crazy trip. I'd love to do something like that. You know, my, yeah. when it comes to motorbikes, my, my dad, he's, he's really into bikes. Um, my uncle, he's exactly the same. I, I love the thought of a motorbike. Um, you know, I've got, um, I got my, we have to do like a CBT here. So it's like compulsory basic training which it allows you to drive up to a 125cc. Yep. And then you have to do your, you know, your direct access or your, your other tests up to, uh, up to the, the bigger CCs. But, um, mm -hmm. I mean, to date, my only experience of, of motorbiking is uh, my wife does trail biking. Your um, wife does trail, trail yeah. biking? Yeah, she's, she's really good. Yeah. So what, what motorbike has she got? A Montessa uh, or the... I couldn't tell you. Shiver? <laughs> but what I could tell you is she gave me a shot of it. And I'd never been on a motorbike before. Um, 
our dad was standing there and uh, he was like, right, put it in gear. So he showed me how to put it in gear. I didn't know there was a clutch. I just thought it was like front brake, back brake. I just thought there were two brakes. And uh, put it in gear and it just started going. And I was like, oh my God, I, I can't stop it. So I, I managed to jump off it. And instead of like turning the key off, I just picked up the bike. And I'm standing there in the bike and the, the tire's just going round and round. And round. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, when so I grew up on a farm, my second bike was a child's bike. So I learned how to go over logs and yeah. you know do some really cool cool stuff. I love I love trials bikes. How how fascinating is that? Your wife does it. It's so cool. I know. Well, she she um her, her and her dad and her brother um done it a lot. They don't do it so much now. She I think think the last time she was out maybe about eight nine months ago. Um, yeah. But I, I actually broke her bike that day, so um, it wasn't a, it wasn't a fantastic day. I broke it. So, yeah. I've never, never heard the end of it. <laughs> my but, yeah. son's trying to ring me. Sorry. Oh, that's um, okay. uh, but yeah, my dad, he, he loves bikes. He's, uh, he's got a Blackbird. Um, Honda Blackbird. Um, my uncle, he's got a couple of different bikes. But I, I'm going to get into it. I've got my, my CBT booked. But then with everything that happened with COVID, kind of got put to the back burner. So I will get there. Um, <laughs> And I'm sure it'll be an experience. Keep, keep trying, keep trying. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Have you seen my um, what's it called, Motor, Motor Mongolia? Yeah, I did. Video? I watched that. Yeah, yeah, I did. It was really, that was really fun. amazing. See some of the yeah. footage as well for the drones. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really yeah. into drones. Um, I've had a couple over the years. Um, do you? Do you? You don't? Have you? Do you use drones? Or yeah. Do you just you, you you fly them as well? Yeah. Yeah, I've got a um a DJI Mavic Pro number two with the Hasselblad nice. camera on it. The thing is, you know, I bought it about a year and a half ago, and I haven't been able to do a proper trip with it yet, <laughs> purely because we're doing the the Towers by Light show, which we had a film crew um, looking after that, and then I merged my company last year with a big American company, okay. and it just took it took all my time. Yeah. And my energy, and and my, I don't know. And then and then this year, obviously, COVID's happened. So I actually haven't travelled on a photography trip for the last couple of years mm -hmm. since the Towers by Light show. Um, but yeah, it's 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 interesting, eh? It's like all these trips I've been doing are mostly sort of motorbike driven, but with the camera. But now the the, the camera is now telling my stories, mm -hmm. and. Um, getting some great, great experiences by going to these sort of countries that are quite remote and kind of quite um, hard to get to. Yeah. It's funny being a, um, a traveler. Um, I, I, I never like bumping into, into tourists on my journeys <laughs> um, because I, I, I'm kind of trying to like soak it in for myself. I get a bit sort of, um, I don't know, um, sort of, wanting to claim it and own it for myself yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I, I don't i don't actually go to tourist tourist areas yeah i think that's um, the, the only way to get the real experience though is if you go to the local places you know the places that, that tourists don't go yeah and that's the only way you're going to get to see the real the real um wherever yeah, you I are found, you 
I found like in India, because we went around on the motorbike and, and a lot of that time you're out in the rural lands and you you know go through villages and, and that. But when you sort of go to the city and you go to the Taj Mahal, it's, it's quite different, right? You've got yeah. all, a lot of tourists there and you've got a lot of the locals who want who want to try and earn money from the tourists as well. So it's quite a different kind of feeling, a different representation of, yeah. of, of the country sometimes. And when I'm out in the villages or out in the rural lands, it's... it's, it's um, it's just a, a beautiful, you know, different experience. I, I love that. It's See, being out in these type of places, so being out, you know, in, in the rural lands, um, you know, how, how does that, I don't want to say, how does that differ from, you know, from, from these main places? So, for example, do you feel a lot of people would say they wouldn't feel as safe. So for, yeah. for you, is safety an issue? Is it something that you've ever had problems with? Is it? Um, I, I sort of probably go a bit blinded and my wife always says, you know, be careful. Mm -hmm. I, I, most of these countries, I have a guide. Even if I'm going there just for photography, I always have a local guide that I can rely on that knows the lay of the land, they know the language, they know what street to go up to up or go through and they know what street not to go down. Yeah. And that is very valuable to me. So like every time I go to Bangladesh, I have a guide. Yeah. I, I, with my guide, I say, Hey, tomorrow I want to go here, here and here. And they'll organize that all for me and we'll just go in there with no problems. Mm. Um, yeah. I, so the, the countries that are probably not tourist driven, um, that a little bit, you know, countries I don't know much about. It's always, yeah. I don't want to take any risks. I don't want to get myself into trouble. I don't want to do anything stupid. So, you know, there's that option that the guides will know, no, we won't go in that area because it could be dangerous. Mm -hmm. And let's not go there. You know, if I, if I didn't have a guide, I could, I'll probably walk into the dangerous area and get, get something, do something stupid. So that, that for me is, um, a priority for me, I, probably because of the type of travel I'm doing as well. I am going into third worlds a lot. I am going into yeah. countries that um, are not so tourist driven or got you know pretty pretty sites. Like if you go to Bangladesh, you do not see a tourist. In fact, you know you, you you're lucky to see a, a white faced um, person in, in the airport. Even you know it's yeah. it's, it's that that different. And the airport's tiny, but the country has huge population. So you know, I don't, I, I go there for, because I, I, I take photos and film and I would just, I, I love the culture and other people there. Just, just, it's, it's, um, it's, I love rawness of life as well. I love just going into the simplicities of life. I'm not going in to see how flash and big their cars or their houses yeah. are, all the things I've got. I'm not sitting by a pool. I'm actually just immersing myself into humanity and, and just going into um, the riches of, of the, of the raw, you know, uh, of life. And I love that. It just, it sort of touches my heart. I love being with people. I love seeing how cultures and people live. And, and I meet so many incredible people, such incredible stories. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of these cultures, they have a much broader community as well more than like what I'll have locally here. So I don't even know some of my neighbors on my street. <laughs> they wear, we're over there, they have a village and everybody looks after each other. Everybody knows each other. They've got their, their parents and their grandparents all living in the same house. You know, it's, it's, it's a different way of life. And I, I love that. 
you know. Mm-hmm. And I love I love being being a guy as well and growing up on a farm in New Zealand. I love adventure. Yeah. So I do actually like to challenge myself. I go, wow, imagine imagine riding a motorbike across the Sahara Desert or across the Himalayas, you know? So I'm kind of I'm always keep pushing myself um, for that. And I actually quite enjoy that. Sometimes at the time I'm not enjoying it because I'm in a lot of pain. <laughs> but afterwards, the stories and the feeling of accomplishment yeah. of, of adventure is, is, is something in, in, the, in the spirit and the heart for me for that, to want to go and do an adventure. And, and we, we can do it. You know, all of us can do that now. We, we have the opportunity. I mean, we don't, sorry, at the moment because of COVID. Yeah. But normally we can choose where we want to go in the world pretty much these days and, you know, and, and experience some amazing things that are different to what you're used to or have experienced in the past. And that, that is really, um, I, I love, I love that. I love exploring. I don't like doing the same thing all the time, Please, you know, same yeah. trip. I like, to, I like to mix it up and challenge myself. I keep thinking of all the countries I want to go to next or what the things I want to do next, you know, so I plan myself. Even my next films I want to do is I'm constantly waking up at three in the morning going, okay, now imagine this shot here, I'll be on this canoe and maybe going around this island. And, you know, I'm, I'm imagining yeah. what I want to experience. And I think your, your brain and yourself steers yourself to that as preparation for your travel and your trips. It's probably like anybody that probably travels thinks about what they're going to pack, you know, what, what are they going to bring with them? And, and you know, they kind of do this planning yeah. cycle before you go because you, you're excited about it you know so do you plan do you so you do a lot of audio as well so do you plan shots for audio or do you listen to audio and then picture the shot from there like what so it's quite funny like I'm a, I'm a specialist audio guy but I'm so slack with audio when I go to my trips <laughs> so with, with audio like tales by light we had a we had an actual film crew so we had like two to three camera guys and one of those guys would do like the boom and the, and the, and the sound and, the, and, the, and that. So I didn't have to worry about the sound yeah. on that particular trip. I guess for that one, that particular show, I was on the other side of the camera. So all the other stuff that I've done, it's pretty much, I don't record the sound at the time because mm-hmm. we did all that afterwards. And those ones were things like, um, so the UNICEF brand video, where we went around the world and we just needed the imagery for that. So I didn't have to worry about the sound so much on that and um we just did that afterwards because it's more of a commercial and we just cut all the pictures together and put music to it and put a voice over over the top yeah so but from now on i'm, I'm now buying some special um, sound gear that i can do location recording on so my next stuff that i want to do is more documentary based and storytelling so yes i will be recording sound but i'll be filming it myself you know yeah of it. i mean for for me you know i I like to think I'm quite creative. Um, yeah. My capabilities sometimes I feel let me down of like, you know, like equipment and stuff like that. So like if you handed me a camera, some of the cameras now, you know, I would look at that and go, how do you even take a picture? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, when I, when I hear the music, sometimes like, you just imagine something that you think that would be, amazing and then yeah. it's you know it's capabilities i think that for me is is the big downfall but 
you know, without actually trying it and doing it, you know, you're never going to get any better, you know, so. Well, it's, 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 it's literally making the time or it's now, st- start diving into it yeah. and learning. So for me, you know, I, yes, I did a trip every year for 12 years. That's why I said to myself, I want to do a trip every year and just see what happens. So I did, you know, Rajasthan, did the Himalayas, I did the Sahara Desert in Morocco, you know, I did Thailand and blah, blah, blah. So I did trips every year and I'd take photographs, I'd ride my motorbike. But when I was at home, I'd wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning, I'll go down to Bondi Beach and I'd get my camera out and I'll start filming surfers and watching the sunrise, watching the beach come to life purely just to start teaching myself about light composition you know what makes a good photograph what makes something interesting so i'm just learning that myself as a hobby you know it's like any hobby it's like a bit a bit your pokemon pokemon hobby that you've got you're a specialist and you're really good good at it right (laughs) because you know you you immerse yourself into that and i think it's any passion or any hobby become become good at it because we we love we love it we love doing that and um, for me, I, I, my passion was to, uh, I took photographs and uh, I've got some good photographs. I thought, imagine if those photographs were moving. Let's yeah. now learn cinematography. You know, how, how can I capture that photograph that is a moving image? So that's what I'm doing now is I'm challenging myself. But I'm also planning ahead for to do a, another story or another documentary, which is, sounds really hard, but I challenge myself. That, that's my next level yeah I, I go wow normally i wouldn't be able to do that but i purposely put myself into a situation where i have to learn and i have to prepare myself and have to be good at what i do yeah. so when I, when I actually end up doing it i can do it hopefully successfully and we can create something really cool out of it you know yeah so i mean going going back a bit you are from new zealand you grew up in a farm you know when you think of farms you think far away from technology that kind of thing um you know, were you always interested in sound, you know, audio, photography, filmography? You know, what, what got you into it? What was your influences? Who influenced you to get into this? And this, this is a good question because it's my father. And it's even like now I'm sort of realising that more now how much influence he had on, on everything that I do. Mm-hmm. At the time, you don't think that. My father died literally two weeks before my first adventure trip around India like 13 years ago. So he's kind of missed out on all these stories and all these films, you know, that we've, we've been doing over the years and, and what's happening to my life. But, you know, back on the farm, you know, he's the one that used to be a motorbike rider, a trials bike rider in England. And he used to win cups and all that. So he was always into motorbikes. So I had a motorbike. Yeah. He always had a flash camera, you know, the latest Canon camera. He just loved photography. And I would just suddenly pick it up and start using it. And then mm-hmm. he loved music. He loved jazz and he played the piano. He, he taught, you know, I learned to play the piano because he loved the piano and he loved music. So I loved music as well. Yeah. So all these things in my life, all these influences actually came from my father, you know. Um, so that is amazing because, I mean, yeah, like I say, I love. I would love to him to see where it's it's taking me now in the journey for the last you know thirteen, fourteen years, because um, you know all those those sound you know I've got a sound company. Um, I, I do photography. I love filming. And I love motorbikes. I mean, it's all yeah, it's all there. You know, it's um, he's my he's been my biggest influence. Yeah. 
and I guess the stuff you see on TV, like you and McGregor and those, you know, Charlie doing their trips and, mm-hmm. and you see other photographers around the world that are taking incredible photographs that in, inspire us, you know, and, um, you know, you kind of go, I sometimes go, well, if he can do that, I can do it as well, you yeah. know? And so I go, right, let's jump on a motorbike and go across, you know, Russia. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? We can do it these days. We can. We can do that. You know, if, if we if we just have enough confidence to just push the go button. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like yeah. um, like we were speaking about before. You know, you asked me, you know, about the, the podcast and stuff like that. And the only reason I started this is because one, when I was looking about, there wasn't really something like this. And, and now that I'm into it, I'm, I'm finding more and more people that do do this kind of thing. Um, but my friend did it. You know, and I was like, you know, he's doing this, he's doing really well, he's got, you know, thousands of subscribers on YouTube and that kind of thing, and he's, you know, he's getting all these messages from people, and, you know, we were in the same class, you know, Mm. and he, you know, he he didn't have any more than than what I do now, Um, and it it really got me going, you know, it was like, well, if he can do it, why can't I, and I can remember the first episode I did, was was a two-minute intro, it was literally two minutes, and I must have sat for about two weeks planning out this two-minute intro. Yeah. And then the minute you do it, you're like, you threw everything out, just get it done, and, you know, yeah. you kind of grow confidence from there. And it's right, it's right what you say, definitely. Confidence is everything. You know, there's a, there's a story of me um, riding a motorbike in North Thailand in the jungle. It was literally in the jungle. And jungle or the forests all around us were on fire and my guide got us lost and there was smoke everywhere and we went up this really steep hill really dangerous and it's real hard to get up the top and we got up the top on this motorbike and he goes he looked at me goes i think we've got to go back down again down into the valley so we went back into the valley more smoke and he says no no let's go back up the hill again and as we're going up the hill, I'm a, I'm a good, good motorbike rider. Um, I've been riding for years and I've done all sorts of silly things. Um, but I came off. I came off going up this hill and it just knocked my confidence by 10%. It wasn't much, but it was enough to then spiral me into this, um, my brain basically saying, you know, got to be careful, don't come off again, and all that sort of stuff. And then I came off again. You know, I came off like three times over an hour and my confidence went down, 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 down. And it's amazing how your mind and your brain can set yourself up to think in certain ways. So I'll prepare myself months before some of these trips and I I prepare my brain to go, I I don't even actually think about having an accident up leading up to before I go. I don't even let that be a thought or be in my brain because... I'm I'm purely focusing myself on having a great time and, and riding well and doing doing you know a good good trip and not coming off and hurting myself. So I don't even, I don't even exercise the thought, and that gets me through a lot. But just that one time was when, when I came off. Suddenly, it's amazing what confidence can do to yourself um, in situations and, and things that you want to do and achieve. It, your mind your mind can really um, your brain is so powerful it, it can kind of play tricks but you, you think about sometimes when you wake up the, the dreams that you have during the night you go why 
what the heck was that all about? Right? Your brain yeah. is so is so powerful. And you know, even like through say, say um COVID times, you know, I, I a bit of depression sort of comes in or a bit of sadness and that kind of thing. And you've got to keep, you know, um distracting your brain and your mind away from thoughts and things. Because you can really spiral yourself down into certain paths that that um can be damaging for yourself. Yeah. And it's purely literally a change of thought can pull you out of these things. Yeah. Um, so for me, like, you know, when, even when I lose my confidence or I, I feel a bit down, I, I, I distract myself. I, I put some music on or something, or I try and do something else to pull me out of that and to, um, and to you know, keep going. I think I've been really thinking about that a lot lately, especially this year of all the stuff that's been going on in the world yeah. with the, the pandemic. and. It's interesting how your brain can can send you on certain spirals and, and journeys, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think you know that's why people say to me, you know, aren't these trips dangerous and all that kind of thing? And I guess they are, you know. But I, I don't go and I don't go to these trips thinking that they're dangerous or I'm going to have an accident or something's going to go wrong. You know, yeah. I'm going there so stoked and excited and just pumped yeah. that I don't let that thought or stuff get in my way. Do you still plan for that kind of thing? So, for example, in, in Mongolia, Mongolia is so mm. vast, but it's also very barren. Mm. So, I remember, I don't know if you've seen it, but um, I, watched, I watched your video, but it reminded me a lot of, um, what was it called? Um, it, used to be, it used to be Top Gear, but they went on to Amazon. Um, yeah. Yeah, so the, the new version of Top Gear. Yeah, um, so they they done a trip across Mongolia as well, and you know, it's, in cars. It's, yeah, and and like June buggy kind of things. Um, mm. But you know, if anything happened, you're that far away, you're that detached, you know, and even the mm. distance between towns. How do you prefer for something like that? Does that thought even cross your mind? You know, does that? Yeah, I got. I can talk about this because all my trips, I've never taken. I mean, I took my brother on the first two, but after my first two trips, which were on rural Enfields, which are kind of kind of safe bike, well, it's, mm-hmm. they're not a big, huge, massive, powerful machine. Um, I started going to into say Morocco on a big, massive, super enduro motorbike. You know, six hundred and there's ninety nine hundred cc motorbikes were cruising at hundred and forty kilometers per hour across wow. these deserts and stuff. It's incredible. 47 degrees Celsius. And um, um, the, I, I, from then onwards, I wanted to do harder and harder trips, but I'd only take a guide because I didn't, I didn't, not that I was being mean, but I didn't want to take my friends because I was concerned about the risk. I was concerned about the risk for them. I was also concerned about the risk for myself. So if I took a friend and we went to these remote places and my friend came off and broke his leg, it stuffs yeah. the whole trip up for everybody. And it's um, in Mongolia, it's after a few years, I went, right, let's take some mates on this one because a lot of them saying, oh my gosh, can I come? I want to come on your trip, you know, sort of thing. So I thought, okay, this time we'll go in Mongolia and we'll, we'll do that. And and because I looked at some videos on their site first before before we went, I saw, oh, this is actually quite easy riding, right? And um, when, we, when we arrived there, they said, don't come off because the place where we're going is so remote 
we take a satellite phone and even then it will take seven hours for a Mongolian army helicopter to reach us. And it's going to cost you like $60,000 to fly you back to Ulan Batar. So I went, oh, okay. <laughs> so if you watch the video, <laughs> all my mates are coming off all over the place. <laughs> and one of them really hurt his leg. And we were remote. We were in the middle of nowhere. And I kind of going, oh, this is so risky. I just don't want them to hurt themselves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I'm a little bit um what's the word um naughty in that I don't really take my friends much and I probably should but I do go into really challenging places yeah. you know Morocco was so challenging that was 47 degrees Celsius heat for three days in the Sahara Desert and we were riding all day long and I drank gallons and gallons and gallons of water. I didn't pee, I think, for five days. <laughs> you sweat it out. You sweat it out. And I had this backpack on my back, and it was all full of water. And we're li literally within 10 minutes of riding, I start to drink the water, and it's hot water. Oh. So you drink <laughs> hot water all day long. And it was just so hot. We had to go, after a few days, we had to go into the High Atlas Mountains, which was 34 degrees Celsius, to keep cool. <laughs> because it was just really crazy temperatures and we were riding up these um this is how risky it was we were riding up these riverbeds uh -huh. of motorbikes but they had no water so it was just all rocks right so the guy that i was riding with was was a super you know experienced rider in those conditions so he um he was he's a very good rider he looked after the, the um the paris to dakar races when they came through through the sahara desert he was some of the support teams and rescue teams um, there. So he knew his stuff, but that was, you know, I couldn't have taken a friend on that. There's just no way that that would have been um, really hard work. And at the time, you know, I, I came off once and really hurt my leg, but my adrenaline was so full on. I didn't feel any pain for about yeah. four days until I hopped onto the plane, hopped on the plane, <laughs> And my leg just all swelled up. And I couldn't even put my shoes on. So I was walking around the plane in the airport. <laughs> I couldn't get on because my foot swollen up. Four days after I heard it. Otherwise, I was riding the motorbike still, you know, and it didn't feel any pain at all. The adrenaline was, was too, was really calm. You know, I, I went back and I, I went away with my wife for a couple of days up the coast. And I sat by the pool and I put my back out from, from the, that trip. So I was, I was a real wreck <laughs> after that trip. Oh, boy. Jeez. So for someone that if I said to you, you know, or, or from what you read about you anyway online, um, you know, and, and some of the, the stuff that, you know, I've heard you speak about before is that, first of all, you are audio. Would that be fair to say that's your main... But for someone, yeah, it, for someone that describes herself as a photography hobbyist, you, yeah, I think you're a bit more skilled than, than a hobbyist. Well, this is what my wife's telling me now. She says, you can't just say it's a hobby anymore. It's actually, you know, you're a professional photographer because of what's happening in your life. You know, and I know we've been talking about motorbikes and those are the trips um, for the last little half hour or so, but, you know, the, the, the photography side of things is you know i took a lot of photographs on these trips and people started to see them people in my industry um started to see these photographs they, they sort of knew me as that guy that took off to 
countries and take photographs and come up on Instagram or whatever. But then one of them, a guy in my industry knew the the guys at UNICEF in New York and head office. Mm -hmm. And he got talking to them and he showed them some of my work and they said, well, we need to rebrand UNICEF globally. Let's use Simon. And I went, it's like, my little sound engineer in Sydney on the other side of the world, and the, literally the United Nations ringing up saying, We want you to, to rebrand our you know, UNICEF globally. So there was, there was an incredible kickstart and a, an amazing opportunity to partner with an organization like UNICEF. And with How did that, that feel? Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just weird. It's just like, it's just you got this gig and you're about to be sent off all around the world with them. And I knew I could take a photograph. So it's just like, great. I wasn't like nervous or anything like that. It's like, yeah, man, let's do this. This is going to be awesome. And you just don't know what you're throwing yourself into. And you just, um, you just, you just do your thing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I filmed and photographed. I did both. So I supplied them with like, 1200 photographs to use in their whole network and 195 offices around the world and those photographs they can use for whatever they want like this for you know social reach with instagram or it's mm. on their websites you know one of my photographs ended up on i think it was i don't know any employees they had like six thousand or twenty thousand i can't remember on every computer in the whole unicef network globally oh and 195 offices with my photograph as their desktop. And it's like <laughs> walking to the offices is like, well, and then you start to see my photographs. They, they, they blew them up as billboards yeah. in the offices all around the world. It's like, wow, this is cool. You know? So it's, it's amazing um, having that opportunity. And it was an amazing experience. You know, I, I traveled with um, a guy called Angus Ingham um, from, from the, his and the brand team of UNICEF and, and head office. Mm-hmm. And um, we traveled together and we went to, first trip was to Kyrgyzstan. I'd never heard of Kyrgyzstan before I went there. I've heard of um, Kazakhstan and, you know, yeah. some of the other stands, but Kyrgyzstan's like, oh, what, what's, what's Kyrgyzstan? So anyway, arrived there and it's like, wow, this is really, really cool. It was, um, it was like Mongolia, the beautiful Alps and amazing people. And we went to the World Nomad Games, you know, one day while we were there and just just experiencing another world that you've never been to before. It's so cool, so cool. And we went to Vietnam, we went to Lebanon, we did stories on the Syrian refugees there in the camps. We went to Mexico, we went to Ethiopia. Ethiopia was just mind-blowing, just had the most incredible experience. What an amazing country. It's so diverse because you got in the north, you got the kind of the... Um, Eurotea and kind of the Egyptian sort of race of people coming through mm-hmm. the north end of Ethiopia. On the east side, you've got um, Somalia and, and, and Somalis. They're, they're, they're you know, um, they're, frame, they're, they're, they're a thinner race of people. And then on the west side, you've got the Sudanese who are different again. And then from the south, you've got Kenya and, and all that. So you've got amazing, diverse um, and types of people and beautiful landscapes. We're going through these incredible landscapes in, in the area around Axum and um, Tigray, North Ethiopia. Had an amazing experience. We went to a place called Debre Domo, uh, Debre, Debre Demo, and it's a mountain 
okay. with a flat flat top on it and it's only men are allowed on on top and there's it's been there for like 1200 years or something this little village and you have to climb up these cliffs to get up to this village on the top sheer cliff and the only rope is this like leather um skin you know kind of leather rope which you think is going to break any moment <laughs> so here's me with my camera gear my backpack and we're climbing up this cliff to get to the top but once we got to the top wow it was just the stuff we saw there it's just another world it's amazing 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 and i don't know if you've been to my instagram but if you see the, the priests mm -hmm. um down a little bit there that they're, they're on top of that that mountain so we were having these incredible experiences every day and you know experiencing the, the children lots so many stories i could tell you you know we've got some incredible stories in vietnam beautiful stories of the syrian refugees mexico just um a rich rich journey just awesome and then out of that we created a 90 second tv commercial for the unicef global okay. and then we had um liam neeson was the voiceover on that and when we finished it, um, David Beckham shared it on his his <laughs> Facebook feed, and it got like eight million views in like a day. <laughs> and then we have for Arabic, we had Queen Rania of Jordan doing the voiceover. We had Shakira um, doing from from um, doing doing the Spanish version. Wow. We had Angelique Kidro doing the French version. So it was an amazing opportunity, amazing experience. And then out of that, uh, all sorts of things started to happen. We started to work on World Children's Day every year. Mm -hmm. We managed to organize a film shoot with Millie Bobby Brown, Liam Neeson, Orlando wow. Bloom. We had uh, Dua Looper on there, Lily Singh, a whole lot of you know amazing stars on the ad. I, I couldn't be there filming it. So we had to have a, um, a, a film company in America look after that for us while we're in Australia putting it all together and again we're doing the music for all this um, I'm creative directoring um, these these ads the World Children's Day um, ads we did every year was was being being real real fun you know yeah working on those so your, your photography your, your photography you focus more it'd be fair to say that you're more people oriented than than scenery would you say yes. that's, yeah. So what, what made you go that route? Um, I just think, you know, when you, when you travel to these countries, the children just love getting their photos taken. <laughs> and I think I started in India. And in India, they like their photos taken. A lot of countries don't like their photos taken. Yeah. Um, but India, yes, you know, you could, I mean, I always ask, first yeah and i always get a get a nod that they they, they would like their photo taken that's fine and then what's great is that with cameras these days you can show them the image straight yeah. away and they get excited and when they get excited their friends get excited and their friends want their photo taken as well and especially children children love that game and for me um going to some of these amazing regions amazing cultures the, you know the the, the cultures and the, and the people's faces are just beautiful. They've just got some incredible stories. And you know, that's, the, that's the thing I've found is that everybody's got a story to tell, you know, um, and there's just so many faces in the world. I find that with, look, I like, I like taking landscape photographs as well, but 
I've, I've, you know, I've probably seen a hundred photographs of the same mountain shot yeah. by a thousand other people, you know, um, it's, 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 the thing is, I think people are unique. Um, and that, that's the beauty of it for me. I love portraits. I love, um, I love people. And I think just over the years, just taking people, I've just sort of become known as that guy that takes, <laughs> especially children's photographs. And the funny thing is, is like just before, before UNICEF, I was going, oh, I've just taken, I've got thousands of photographs of kids' faces. I've got to do something different. And then I get UNICEF job. It's like, oh, can you travel the world and take children's photographs? You know, it's like, okay. So, but um. I'm sort of challenging myself in other aspects of photography now. It's like, yes, having a portrait or um, a face in the, in, in the shot, but let's do some layers in the photograph. What's behind? What's in the foreground? What's their environment they're in? You know, yeah. do a bit more storytelling as well. Um, so I'm sort of, for myself, challenging that. But I'm also challenging myself to, to, to do some more cinematography as well. Yeah. I love photographs and I've, 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 I can do that but I'm also now challenging myself to, to let's, let's tell stories, especially from like, say the Tales by Light project that really showed us the power of being able to do some storytelling and then the reach you can do with those stories yeah. to a bigger audience like Netflix. And then from that, you know, one of the heads of UNICEF Global, she said to me, this is like having a one hour TV commercial yeah. for us on Netflix with millions of viewers. And she said, this is one of the best things we can do, you know. So for, for reach for an organisation like UNICEF, it, was, it wasn't a UNICEF ad. You know, we basically partnered with UNICEF because I've worked with them in the past. We thought it was a great, great stories to, to tell in the show. Yeah. You know, um, so in that, in that partnership has been going on, you know. I'm doing some amazing um, video at the moment. I'm not shooting it. I'm using everybody else's images, <laughs> but it's for the United Nations. And that's a five minute film that's going to be played in, in the General Assembly at the United Nations on the 21st of September. Oh. It's their 75th anniversary this year for the United Nations. Mm -hmm. 75 years when they, when they first started. And yeah, I've been asked to do a film for them. So I'm using amazing stock footage from from the un archives yeah. um and i'm also reaching out to all my um photographers on my instagram that i follow and and building up this community of friends now you know yeah. who are photographers and they're really good photographers and i'm going hey can i can i use your photographs from the syrian war can i use your photographs from the covid um, pandemic in brazil you know so we're gathering all these incredible photographs and, and footage and putting together this film which we played at the united nations so that's even though i'm not traveling at the moment i'm still doing a project which has been been nice to be able to do that on the side yeah. so what's um, what's been your favorite or, or most memorable picture that you've taken today i've got i'll probably go at three three or four there's there's the rajasthan boy with the green eyes he's probably one of my first photos I took that was what I thought was, I, I really loved. Um, that was on my first trip around Rajasthan. I've got a photograph of an albino girl from Papua New Guinea. Yeah, I've seen that one. Uh, that, that one really caught my eye. Yeah. And there was kind of a dream when I was taking photographs in that time and going, oh, I'd love to be on National Geographic. You know, I'd love to have a photograph of National Geographic. I said, I'll give myself seven years, right? 
and then seventh year passed and done you know didn't get anything on there and then the eighth year they chose the albino girl and they put her on the um national geographic in, in america on 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 what second page in or something but i thought great i've done it i've made it and i've got a national geographic um so that was quite fun um so it's that one and then there's a photo there's a couple there's a couple in Bangladesh that I took. There's one of this lady that's in the rubbish tip. Um, it's quite a apocalyptic kind of photograph. It's just one of the most craziest places I've ever taken a photograph in. It was another world. It was, yeah, a rubbish tip. And I went in there with my camera amongst the flies and everything else you can ever imagine and took some photos in there. And there's another one in Bangladesh of these workers deep in the, in the cargo hold of the ship where they're bringing out coal by hand on these, these baskets on their heads. Um, that's another favorite photograph of mine. And then I guess there's, every trip has a, a photograph, a favorite photograph, I guess. I mean, I probably got, yeah, half a dozen favorites. I, I don't have, the penultimate photograph that I go, that, that's it, that's my favourite. Yeah. I've got, because I mean, each, each photograph's got a, a story behind them as well and a great memory. That's the great thing about photography is sometimes I do like a, a conference or a talk on stage, I don't prepare myself, I just prepare my photographs. And yeah. when I start showing the photographs on the wall, they, they give me my stories because of the memories that get associated with that moment of taking that photograph. I, I, you know, every one of them has, has got a story and it reminds me of, of my experiences. Wow. So, tell us why, like, you, you worked on that beforehand, didn't you? Um, yeah. yeah. So, so, as a sound company, we did the soundtracks to Series 1 and Series 2 and Series 3. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, became friends with Abraham, the director. Yep. So we did the music, we did all the sound design, and we mixed them. We did the cinema mixing, um, and I worked on a lot of those. Those, those really, real fun, great job, you know. Yeah. Working on those, and he sort of, he knew that I was taking photographs, and he knew I loved Bangladesh. And he goes, "Look, I'm travelling with Stephen Dupont in series two, to Bangladesh. Why don't you come along and just come and hang out with us?" <laughs> Yeah, okay, let's do that. <laughs> so I went over and while they were filming, I would take off and go and with my camera. I even took my daughter over there for like three days. I said, you can come over for three days. You've got to experience this. And she said, oh, okay, what, what is it? That's Bangladesh. What's Bangladesh? Come and have a look. <laughs> anyway, so she came over for a couple of days and I sent it back home again. But um, there's an amazing experience for, the, you know, for her to see that. Yeah. So I just took photographs there and then they started, they saw my photographs and went, oh, this is cool. And then I got the UNICEF gig, you know, mm. during that kind of year that he was doing series two. And then he goes, look, hey, the stories here are, are fantastic. This, this, I'd love to film you for series three. And I thought, great, awesome. So that's how that kind of happened. It's, it's who you know, I guess, yeah. for that one. Um, but there that, that was an amazing... Um, opportunity, an amazing experience traveling with Abraham and Untitled Films. Yeah, they, those guys are doing incredible things. They, they, they just travel all year round and um, doing the most amazing stories. Yeah. yeah. How did that feel knowing that you, you 
your work as as a, as, as, as a again as a self-proclaimed hobbyist um, has taken you from you know just doing your sound stuff uh, it's got you a next step to someone's reached out and said to you okay it's great you've got all this stuff for UNICEF now we want to film you we want to we want your story you know and and then to be told that it's going to go on Netflix how does that feel you know because you, you're also being quite vulnerable as well because you're you're giving yourself to the world yeah you know and it's not just an image that you can take it's you I know and it's pretty hard to be on the other side of the camera, I can tell you. Um, it was quite funny in, in Bangladesh. Like the, the first moment they started filming me was with Orlando. And I was like quite intimidated because I got this superstar beside me. And then Abraham picks up the camera and goes, okay, so, I, so what's happening? It's like, oh, um, okay, here we are in Bangladesh. <laughs> you just got to roll with it and, and, and deal, deal with the punches as you go. Yeah. But um, I also noticed that there's definitely, when you're filmed, you, you change your walk. Like, <laughs> when they say, Mike, can you just walk from there to there? I'll start walking, but you kind of, you walk a bit weird for some reason. And I don't know what that is. When there's a camera on you, you, you tend to, do I act walking or do I, how do I do it naturally when I got a camera on me? You know, it's, it's, it's really, it's quite funny. And I was just trying so hard to just walk normally, but it just didn't happen. But it was, it was kind of, um, I, I really loved it because I guess the, the places that we were in and, and the stories we were about to tell and, and being, you know, having that opportunity to, to create something that we can, we can show the world, I guess. And you, you, you just don't realise what's going on, you know. You, you, you're doing it and then suddenly they cut it together and then you, then you put the music to it and then suddenly it goes on Netflix and it's kind of like, it's, it gets overwhelming. We, we launched it in the United Nations in New York, actually at the, in, the, in, in one of the big theatres there. And we had Orlando Bloom there as well. And we did the whole on the stage questionnaire thing afterwards about it. So that was, that was quite, quite special as well. How did, that. how did that feel, you know, doing that with someone like Orlando? Did it, did it, do you feel like it took a bit of pressure off you? Do you feel that it added pressure to you? It adds, it adds a little bit of pressure. I mean, we were, we were stoked to have him on the show mm -hmm. um, because, you know, there's a couple of things there where he's, his social reach for us, you know, he's got, probably 10 million fans that follow him. Yep. So, you know, we know that when he's in, in Bangladesh and he's taking a picture of himself or, you know, telling those stories with, with, with Tales by Light, we, we've also got 10 million of his followers looking at that stuff as well. Yeah. So for us, you know, to be have that was, was, was really, really cool. And Orlando is great. You know, he's, he's probably their most active ambassador for UNICEF. So he probably does, you know, one, two two or maybe three trips a year for UNICEF. He was probably not doing anything at the moment, but he was great. He was professional. He, um, he really enjoyed the opportunity. And, you know, he's got a passion for, for the kids and for the organisation. So he, he wants to be there. He wants to help in any way he can, even if it is because of his stardom, I guess, at the end of the day, you know. Um, if, but if he can 
up leverage to tell these stories and, and make make a difference has been really great. But you know, for me, it is it is it was a bit daunting. You know, got this. Mm-hmm. You just you just got to try and relax, and he's he's just another guy at the end of yeah. the day. You know. And you just got to be like that. Um, that's, that's what I was going to say. So in these type of places, you know, that we, we would deem third world, um, is he recognised in these type of places? You know, does, you know um, it's, it's yeah, no, 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 no. I've got some stories to tell you because it's quite funny. We, we stayed in a hotel um, not far from the airport. Mm-hmm. And every day after the shoot, will come back to the hotel and there'll be like two or three fans waiting in reception. Orlando, Orlando, you know, can you sign your Orlando doll for me? And, you know, that kind of thing. So um, word got out that he was there, you know, so his, his fans tried to hunt him down and find him. But there was one moment which was quite funny where, um, we were walking through the slum. It's at the beginning of the show. Um, but there was a moment there where we stopped the cameras and all these boys came up and sort of they hung around me and they're getting their photos taken with me and like, we're doing these selfies and all that sort of stuff. And, go, yeah. and I looked over to Orlando and he was like standing over there about 10 feet away by himself and nobody was around him. And I, I stopped. I said, no, this is all wrong. You're supposed to be over with this guy. <laughs> Taking selfies with not me. I kind of laugh, but you know, some of these countries, he's not even known. You know, a lot of our stars around the world. You know, a lot of these guys don't have TV. You know, they they don't know who who Orlando is. So, I mean, it's probably good for you know, probably likes it as well a little bit. You know, because he can walk around the streets. We can do. We can on a train together. You know, that that was really fun. You know, UNICEF sort of said. We don't want anything to do with it. We can't have them on top of the train. But I want to go on the train, says Orlando. Well, you can't wear your UNICEF T-shirt. You've got to take that off. You've got to wear something else. So anyway, he went up there. We did the train trip in, on, the, on the roof, and he loved it. And at the end, at the other station, where all the UNICEF guys were going, oh, cheering. Yo, Orlando, this is awesome. This is great. <laughs> I just didn't want him to have an accident. <laughs> so that was, that was, you know, one of my other questions there. So when you're staying in these type of places, do you like to get as local as possible or do you, you know, sometimes do you, do you use hotels, that kind of thing? What, what's your preference? Yeah, everywhere is different. Um, some of these locations that we go to, there's, there's no hotels. There's not even a motel. It's maybe a guest house if you're lucky. Or, you know, I've stayed in a, in a, a literally a clay box with a dirt floor. And I remember waking up in the morning, there was no door. And I was on this dirt with a, with a, with a, with a, um, a rug. I woke up and I looked over at the door and there was a black scorpion in the doorway with his towel over like this. And I was going, wow. I, I, he, was probably, he probably slept with me all night. <laughs> I didn't even know. Another place in Vietnam where I had a really big day riding and stopped at this, it was a motel. I went into the room, there was bugs and everything flying around the room. And I had this sort of fly net, so I put it over the bed. I was absolutely exhausted. I'd been riding a motorbike all day long up in the, up in the, in the hills. Um, you, you're exhausted, then you wake up in pain, you've got to get back on the motorbike again. But I, I went onto the bed, put the fly screen all around me. I was so, so dead tired. And, and as my eyes 
as my eyes started to shut from sheer exhaustion, and the wall, there's a hole about this big in the wall. Uh-huh. And as, as I closed my eyes, the centipede, big black centipede, probably about this long, came into the room and started going to the, across the wall towards me and I fell asleep. <laughs> it wasn't a centipede like this. It was literally big, massive, fat with thousands of legs crawling up the wall. I, mean, I just fell asleep. Oh, so you just, you just, I just, I mean, I, I woke up, so that was okay. Um, <laughs> you, you, you experience all sorts of things in the places you stay, you know. Um, yeah, every night's different. Stayed in this tent in the Himalayas one night because there's no, there was no village. Yeah. It was so cold. We could not sleep the whole night. You're so, you're bone cold. And our, our support car got stuck in like a, an avalanche had taken out the road and we managed to get across on the motorbikes. But the car was stuck and it didn't make it that night. So we didn't have any of our clothes or anything. So we just sleep in the, in the motorcycle gear. And in, in this tent, and it was so so cold. That you, I don't know if you've ever been that cold during the night where you actually get up every five minutes to go to the toilet. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's how cold it was. <laughs> it was that cold, and and the mattress was was cold as well. So you just couldn't warm up. Anyway, I could no tell sleep. you a story about how cold I got one night, but I'll tell you after this. Right? Remember me to tell you. I, okay. I don't. I don't want to say on this. But remember, and, and, and the next day, right, I was so exhausted. This is from riding a motorbike on road. I was so exhausted. But because the oxygen and all that, and I was like in pain, I was sore, I was tired. We were going up this other mountain, mountain pass, passing all these trucks. And I was going, oh, this is so much hard work. I'm in so much pain. I'm in so much pain. And I came around this corner, and there was a guy on a bicycle. Oh. I mean, Oh man, he was training. It was like from France. He was like training for the Tour de France or something. And then I shut up after that. I go, I'm not okay. I'm getting good. I'm very lucky. I, I couldn't I couldn't believe what I saw this guy just on a bicycle in the middle of the Himalayas. And I thought, wow, I shouldn't complain. So <laughs> meeting all these different people and all these opportunities you've had. Coming from from where you come from. You know, having the type of life that, that you you have now, um, you know, how does that sit with you when when you go to these type of places? How does it affect you? So, for example, like like tales for tales by light, sorry. Yeah, I I um I I think because I feel like I've got a um a obligation on myself or a heart. I actually want to keep doing more of these. And even though I come across really full on stories, still the richness of the journey is everything for me. It's um, to have, I guess, the opportunity or a skill just to better take a photograph. If I can use that, if I can go into these places and tell stories that can then hopefully change lives, then that's worthwhile for me. You know, I, I I want to keep going deeper and deeper all the time because I've experienced the opportunity of being able to help um, people through my photography. 
you know, to see those photographs on Times Square billboards, on the Sydney Harbour Bridge New Year's, the reach that these stories and these kids are, are getting is, um, is, is, is exciting, you know. I, I, the, the, even the response from Tales of the Light, you know, messages that you get from the photographs every day is, you know, people are going, oh, my God, I never knew this was happening. Mm-hmm. I now want to do this kind of work as well. You know, you're getting people saying, how can I work for UNICEF? What can we do? You know, so for, for me, you know, we've got an opportunity as creatives. We take a photograph, we can compose music, we can put this together and we can create a story and we can put it onto Netflix. It's yeah. achievable. We can do it. I've taught myself for the last 13 years to be able to hop on a motorbike, travel to any location in the world, whether it's the Himalayas in the snow or it's the Sahara Desert or it's jungles on fire. Um, I, can, I can get in these places with my camera and my backpack. And that's the beauty of cameras these days. They can fit in your backpack. They can yeah. fit in your pocket. And you can take incredible um, quality imagery. So for me, I, I, for me, my passion and my hobby was to be an adventurer and challenge myself to go and try, how do I, how can I create a story? Let's just go and do it. Let's just go and find out how to do it. And let's just immerse myself into it. Grab stuff, start playing with it, putting things together. People suddenly start to see it. Hey, can you do this for us? Hey, can you do that for us? And it's just builds up over time. And now I'm going, right. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to do a whole TV series or I want to do a series on Netflix or something that's, telling more of these stories, I'm going, well, that's just three or four children in Bangladesh in Bolivia. Imagine what we could do with, you know, three billion children in the, in the world, you know? So, you know, it's that, that's kind of me. I'm, I'm, I'm now getting older, but at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm diving deeper in, yeah. you know, I'm getting busy and busy with my day job, but I'm also getting busy and busy with my, my other, my other job. <laughs> just photography and filmmaking, which I'm loving and also partnering up with like an organization like the United Nations and, and UNICEF yeah. and, and to, you know, for them, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I, I respect who they are and they allow me to go and, and do some of this work and we can partner together and I'm more than happy for them to use my images, which they can then use to help tell their stories, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I, for me, I'm, I, I want to dive in deeper. Mm-hmm. Let's keep going, you know. If if we can if we can do the stuff I've done in ten years, um, I I I want to challenge myself to do more, you know. I've got I've got plans, yeah. and I've got ideas, and I've got things I want to do for the next few years. So, um, there's gonna be more. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> so, in the trips that you've had and the stuff that you've done with UNICEF. Could you name a most memorable person or a most memorable moment? Yeah. Well, I guess the story is 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 a couple. One of the stories is probably in Bolivia of the child miners, um, which you would have seen. Um, there's a part of that story that you know we're not quite aware of through the film, but that family lived literally at the entrance to the mine. Mm-hmm. Their house was actually at the entrance of the mine. So they, they are miners, the whole family. So the, the father gets up every day and he goes deep, deep, deep into the mountain. 
in such a stressful, harsh job that all his income he literally spends on alcohol. Um, so therefore, there's no money left for the family to eat. That's how stressful it is. It's so stressful that to soothe his pain, he drinks. So now the kids and the mother have to go into the mine to mine and earn the income so they can put food on the table. And that's how desperate that story was. And that was um, pretty confronting and really, really sad. I mean, to go into that mountain, you know, before we went in, we went, Man, we're going to go deep down in the mountain. We go down the lift shafts. We go deep down. We get all these amazing photographs, all these guys working in the mines, all that sort of stuff. Um, and we'll tell these stories. We started to go into this mountain and the mine shaft was like, you couldn't stand up in it as you're walking in. And you're going in and your helmet keeps whacking the, the roof and the dust is falling into your face. And then all the dust starts to suffocate and it's hard to breathe. And beside you've got those pipes, all these pipes going down deep into the mountain and they're carrying this compressed air. And it's, it's just massive, really, really, really loud noise right beside you. And you're going, wow, this is all this noise with the dust. I can hardly see, you can breathe, the torch keeps coming off. And we get about, what? 100 meters in, 150 meters into this into this mountain, and they, we start filming the kids um, doing doing their thing, and it's and you're going, oh my gosh, this is really I'm choking in here. You know, this is really suffocating. Yeah. You know, you know when you get caught. I keep saying the story. You get caught in a rip in, in the ocean, and you, you you start to panic. You start to panic breathing. Your body starts to panic. You get caught yeah. in a rip. You think you're going to die. Your body, my body, and so did all the crew, their bodies started to react. We were in that situation where you're confined space, hard to breathe, your body starts to freak out. So at that stage, the young boy says, hey, if we walk for another 45 minutes, like it only took us 12, 15 minutes to get to where we were. If we work for another 45 minutes, we'll get to the middle of the, of the, of the mountain. And then we can go down the elevator shaft right down to the bottom where all the workers are. Yeah. And we went, there's no way, man. It's just, I've never been in a place like that. That was just, we said, no, no. We, we had to get out of there. It was just, it was really hard. So there's a harsh environment. Another, another moment that really got to me was um, Chang Mia. He was the little boy, the porter boys to carry the luggage off the boats of the fairies. Yeah. So he was at five years old, his mother died and his father just abandoned him. So basically, see you later, onto the streets. And he had to defend himself. He was the most gorgeous, gorgeous kid. So I think it was seven or eight years old when we filmed him. And he was just on fire. He was just the most gorgeous, gorgeous character. And there was a moment where the, the guys were filming, Orlando, and, and Chamiya came up to me, grabbed his arms, and he just put them around me and just hugged me as hard as he could. And I was going, oh, gosh. And I started to cry. I thought, this is so hard. And then he's got this beautiful soul of a child here. He's got no parents. He's got no father figure. But he's got so much love to give, you know. And it's, it was just, it just, I broke down. It's just, I was just like, wow, oh, gosh, this is really, really hard. And look, you know, we we go into these crazy environments and the rubbish tips and there's flies and there's harshness of the aluminium factories with the 
dust and you know and the balloon factories all the toxic acid everywhere yeah. you know but all these kids you know that those people don't have a choice so they need to get food on the table that night this is their this is their life this is their job you know but you know we, we i go in there because of their hearts and because you meet some really cool kids and really cool people you know and and yes there's all that stuff on the side but you know i go in there for the relationship and the yeah. friendship and just to just have that moment with them and um you know and for them they get excited too they can get their photo taken and you know we we, we play silly games together you know me being an older sort of white guy <laughs> being, being sort of you know but silly and, and goofy um but you know we, we have fun together on that um, is, is that yeah. a little boy from the from that part of tales by light where he tries to lift the bag and it's too heavy yeah. for him yeah yeah yeah, and um, yeah, he, he's he's amazing. So UNICEF set up this kind of shelter at nighttime because it's so dangerous for these kids on the streets in Bangladesh at nighttime. So they get to go to the shelter, and we went up there. You probably saw it in the film. Yep. That, was, that, was, that was awesome. You know, they get a little bit of education. The great thing over there is the kids love education. They want education. They they just you know, we kids kids here and like, no, nah, I'm going to school on <laughs> <laughs> the computer. And they're like, these kids just, um, they're just hungry for it. And it's just so awesome to, to watch. Um, so that, you know, you get, you get, these are, these are warm, hard, awesome stories, you know, and just stuff that sort of move your heart. Yeah. And um, I, I, I prefer that than sometimes, you know, going on a, other trips, you know, for holidays and things. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, I do love, I love my other holidays as well, but this stuff really touches my heart. And, and have you seen any benefits in the work that you're doing, you know, in the, that you're ta- the people that you're taking pictures of? Like, you know, have you seen the, the work that UNICEF are doing firsthand of, you know, the benefits it's given these kids? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, and that's the great thing. It's what I've found, because I don't actually work for UNICEF, but because I, I, I get sort of... Um, um, contracted, right? Yeah, yeah. Contracted to them, yeah. yeah. But what, what was evident from visiting all these locations and all the UNICEF offices that all the people that work there have a real heart for children. You know, they, they don't get paid probably a normal salary. They, they're doing this because they have love and they want to help, you know. And that was, that was quite evident for me visiting all these... UNICEF offices around the world is that these guys have got a passion for people. You know, you, you come across people that, you know, are not great people, people when you get other people are just 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 can love people and, you know, will will go to the nth degree. And that's what I found in this network is, you know, when you go and work with UNICEF or the United Nations, you, you do it because, you know, you've got a heart for, for wanting to do good. And and the work they're doing is is great. You know, it's it's it is evident, you know. In Tales by Light, you probably saw some of the projects they do. And they do a lot of these with partners. So you've got organizations or companies that want to do good. So they partner up with UNICEF and go, look, we don't know what to do, but we'll give you the money. And then UNICEF organizes the curriculums, the schools, the teachers, and they set up all the programs and all that um, themselves using the partners' money to, to do good, you know. Yeah. You know, this is a harsh thing in Bangladesh when, when we were there doing all those stories and the stories with UNICEF is, you know, they had this massive the Rohingya crisis that happened at the same time. So, you know, you've got an organisation that is um, 
you know, I think any NGO is always struggling to try and get money in to, to help. And then they have a crisis like that put on their doorstep. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, you know, it's tough. And that, and that crisis is, um, the Rohingyas one is, is a, is an epic, um, story there, you know, what's, what's happened there. So, um, how, how do you find that, you know, returning home after these type of trips? You know? Yeah, I'm usually a bit stunned, but like a stunned mullet. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you definitely come back. I come back a little bit more, I don't know, relaxed, not relaxed. It's kind of, I don't have the same stresses for yeah. a period of time. When I come back, I don't stress out about having to get to work on time or, you know, just to have that done properly or that, that glass is going to be sitting just like that, you know, all those kind of things that people stress out about every day. It's like, you just don't have any idea. <laughs> Please, you don't have to be stressed out over that. You don't. <laughs> It, yeah. it could be worse. It could be worse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it must give you a complete different aspect to life. You know, yeah. Just, just seeing that, it must, you know, open up your eyes to what's really important, you know. Yeah. Um, We've got a, and a big part of our world is like that. You know, there's only, there's a huge percentage of the population of the world that are, that are struggling every day. And, I can't imagine the, the stresses that are on people, you know, in that situation day after day, even like the families that lived on the train tracks, dealing, dealing with that every 12 minutes, a freight train comes past your door 24 hours a day at 80 to hundred kilometers per hour. And your door is five feet away from the track. And your mother and you've got five children and you've got a baby on you that you've got to hold on to 24 hours a day. Because if it crawls out of your arms, it could get run over by the train. I mean, I know how difficult it was when my little girl was, was crawling and, you know, she's walking. She just wanted to be on the go constantly. It's, mm. you know, try to keep them close. Yeah. It's very difficult. Yeah. Desperate. And, you know, a place like Dhaka is so populated that there is no room to, to, to find a place to live or to settle. And there's only those little bits of grass verge on the side of the train tracks left, you know, and that's how desperate it is. You know, and, and a lot of these people have lived there all their lives. Yeah. They don't know anything else. Um, you know, that, we, you didn't see it on on the film, but I remember walking down the side of the, the huts on the side of the tracks and I looked down and there was this hut and it had a little hole like this. Mm-hmm. And I knelt down and, and looked inside and there was this guy in there in this little room, probably about three feet by three feet. Okay. And he was cutting up fish and his guts and fish scales and his fish blood all over him, the whole lot. And he's literally in this little hole, kind of this went, Oh my gosh, that that is a um, a horrendous job there. Gosh. Yeah, yeah you, you even the 
even on that rubbish tip in Bangladesh, which I got photographs of, I got some film of it as well, but it wasn't part of the Towers by Light one, but this other rubbish tip I went to in Salat, that there was apocalyptic moment where you, you felt like you shouldn't be breathing. So I took, I got a t-shirt and I wrapped it around my face because I felt, you know, you felt, felt risk when you're breathing in yeah. the fumes. And there's flies and blowflies. I, I don't know why I was there. I, <laughs> I, I stopped the car. I said to the guide, stop the car. I actually want to go on the rubbish tip because I saw people in there working in the rubbish tip. I thought it would be an interesting photograph. Yeah. Um, so I went in there and every step I took, you know, it's, it's rubbish, but it's third world rubbish. And it's, it's another level. It's, carcasses chicken carcasses there's just i don't know what i was standing on a lot of the time yeah a lot of flies blow flies and i was suffocating but i wanted to get my shot and i got it i got my shot and it's one of my favorite photographs not my favorites but one of my most um proud, proud photographs but the the woman that were working in these rubbish tips um i was, I was standing here taking a photograph and some film of her and she walked past me but there wasn't one moment where she sort of looked up and recognized me. It was, she was just like, she was in a different world. It's just, yeah. um, yeah, it's just really, um, full on. One of the most full on places I've, I've ever taken photograph in. Um, you know, even in the rubbish tub, the rubbish tip with the kids walking on the water. Remember yeah. that moment before we started filming, I fell into that up to my waist. I actually thought I was walking on land yeah. and I stepped in and I went down into the water up to, up to, up to my waist. And then I had to, I was, gosh, that was, you know, scary because I, you think you're walking on land, but suddenly you're under the water yeah. and in that water as well. So I went back to the hotel to go and change because we're about to film. And as I came out, the cameraman Abraham had fallen in as well. So he could go back to the hotel and get changed as well. That's, that's how dangerous it was. It's like you couldn't you couldn't see the land to the to the water for what was yeah. the water, what was the land. Um, so interesting places. I've I've definitely seen some things. There's um, yeah, I don't know if I could tell you the story, but you might want to cut it out. But in Mongolia, no Morocco, Morocco, we're going up this mountain on these motorbikes. And I saw in front of me a lady, so a woman riding on a horse. And I thought, okay. And as I went past, you know, you have those moments where everything slows down to slow motion. I, I went past it. And as I went past, I looked up and she looked at me and she had no face. She had obviously been um, acid baths or, you know, put acid thrown onto her. So it was literally a skull, no no nose, you know, I saw the cheekbones with a mouth and her eyes were still there. And I, I just, I just, my heart stopped for, for a moment. And I just go, oh my gosh, this, it's just, sometimes the world is so cruel, yeah. you know. And I actually had a, a thought of a moment where I thought, I just I felt like I wanted to stop my motorbike 
I literally just wanted to bathe her feet, you know, with water, you know, because she would have had the most horrendous life. I mean, she, she had a hood over her, but she didn't have her face covered. And, you know, afterwards I, I said to the guy, I said, man, I just saw, and he said, did you see her? He said, I've never seen anything like that. That was just so, so full on, you know? So, you know, we, these trips, they're, they're amazing journeys, but you do, you do see some things. See, you see humanity sometimes at its worst. Um, you see life at its fullest and richest, and sometimes at the most raw. But you know, it's 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 our world, you know, and yeah. it's our family, people that we um, go and explore and, and meet every day, and you know. And I think you know the journeys journeys are rich, and it riches makes the soul richer as well. I think your know, listeners who are travellers who love to travel and that do get that. From these trips as well is, is the experiences, right? But um, yeah, I mean, I, I I love what I do, and a lot of this has come out of pure passion and, and just as a hobby and, and and for the love of it, you know. Yeah. And it's interesting how the paths take you and where you end up, you know, and what you end up doing purely by chance or just just happen somebody just happened to see a photograph that you've taken and you know your whole life can change. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, in terms of questions that I've got for you, um, I, I could go on and on and on and on and on, and I could keep you here for hours. Um, but normally, what I would do is before I speak to anyone, um, I tell my little girl about the people that I'm speaking to, um, a little bit about them, what they do. And I get her to give me a question for, for whoever it is I'm speaking to. Yep. So I, I spoke to her a bit about yourself and, you know, the work that you've done with UNICEF and things like that. And we, we, we watched the, the Tales by Light together. Um, I watched it, you know, myself first of all. And then when I was telling her about it, she wanted to see it. And she, she got upset. You know, mm. it's natural, you know, she's a, a little girl, she's six years old, you know, she, I think she realised, you know, and although she's young, she is very switched on, um, mm. she realised, you know, what, what she has. And the question that she, she gave me, in fact, one of the things that we spoke about this morning, because I told her I was, I was speaking to you today before I came out of school, um, and she got upset again because she was saying that, you know, she'd saved up, she'd saved up 30, 30, £35 or something like that for this doll. Mm -hmm. And it's all stuff that she had been doing stuff with. And she got to the point where she said, you know, if I didn't spend it on that doll, I could have gave it to these children. And, you know, normally she, she does do a lot of stuff like that. So she, at Christmas, she had leftover vouchers. Um, that that she had got, you know, beforehand. So what she decided to do with them is she went to she went to the toy shops, she bought loads of toys, and she handed them into her local hospital. Um, so she she got like a, a wee certificate and stuff like that, and she turned it into school and all that kind of thing, and showed them. But you know, she she's very given in that you know she's got any toys left or anything that she's never opened or something like that. She 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 gives it away. She's very, um, mm. she's very good that way. But this morning she decided that she's wanting to do 
a, a sponsored hill climb. So we're going to do uh, Ben Nevis, which is the, the tallest peak in, in Scotland. Maybe maybe the UK, but uh, we do a lot of hill climbing. Um, so she's going to do that and she, she wants to do that for UNICEF. Um, but the question that she had asked was, what, what can she do to help? That's what she wants to know. Yeah. Look, you know, there's, UNICEF has their normal, um, I guess, websites that has programs on it that you can donate to and be part of. Um, I mean, that's probably how, how can we, how can we do it? You know, it's like, I mean, UNICEF would probably, do you have a local office in, in, in Scotland? Um, we, we probably do. I've not had a chance to look at it yet. Um, you know, it was just this morning. So it's, it's something we will look at this evening. Um, yeah. Cause that but, could be quite good as to, be in contact with your local UNICEF office. Mm -hmm. I, I've had this question a lot. You know, I've got people who contact me and said, I want to give some money to UNICEF Bangladesh, you know, can you please put me into, in contact with somebody, you know, to do that. And I send contacts and sometimes that doesn't happen, but by certain things, I don't know. But um, I think, you know, with, with the UNICEF, they do have a, re a reach um, area on, on their website that you can donate to and then you can probably within that explore some of the programs that, that, that are doing and it might interest her that say that there's a UNICEF in, in Scotland to see what they're doing locally because yeah. a lot of these offices you know they, they, they do local work and some of them also use some of the money they bring in and they, they sort of send it off to maybe UNICEF Ethiopia or they, they have like sister offices that they, um, that some offices need more money than others. So yeah. some, some offices literally bring money in and they send that off to Geneva and then Geneva, Geneva send it off to the war. You know, so it's probably an, having an understanding of, of how UNICEF works, maybe in yeah. your area, um, and getting involved with them. You know, they, they do events and they do events with children all the time. Yeah. You know, get, get her interested in maybe one of the programs that they're doing. And they might be going, look, we're looking after the school in Sudan, you know, follow our journey on that, you know, because when they, when they partner or when they do projects, they need to be accountable so they bring or give information out of the work that they're doing in these places for people to see what they're doing. So that way your daughter can see and follow maybe one of these programs yeah. and, and watch, watch it, um, you know, progress and, you know, and, and build up and get, you know, see the work that's been done yeah. by them. Um, I think it's just probably an understanding. It's like, it's like these, these shows that we're doing in, in, in the visuals and the photographs, it's all about awareness yeah. at the end of the day, you know, it's like for her to suddenly see this and go, I want to do something for UNICEF is because she's had a heart or an experience from, from what they do. So, you know, if she's got a passion for it and she wants to donate and be part of all that. And I'd, I'd probably suggest that way, go on the website first, find yeah. out, you know, your local region, see what work they're doing in the local community because that could be something a good start anyway you know yeah um, yeah 
Um, so I'll probably suggest that. Perfect. I'll pass it on to you. Thank you very much. What I what I learned what I learned with them is is a lot of a lot of their money does actually get to the child instead of admin. You know, some organisations I've found in the past that you know sixty percent goes to admin and forty percent goes to the child, and you kind of go, oh, okay, that's well, you know something I guess. But then you know. I, well, UNICEF, I think it was like 15 or 20% goes to admin and all the rest goes to the child. And it's kind of like, you know, that that actually feels like your money's doing something, Absolutely. you know. Um, so it's probably learning and understanding the organisation. It's a, it's a big organisation. They do lots of amazing things. And, you know, I hear stories all the time of the things they're trying to do. And it's um, it's an interesting journey, yeah. But that's, that's great that she's got a passion for that. How cool is that? <laughs> Real hard. It, it definitely makes you proud, you know. It makes you um, definitely makes you. Yeah. You, you know, it gave me the feeling that we're we're doing something right. You know. Yeah. The fact yeah. that she's feeling like that, so. Uh, have, a, have a heart that gives is awesome. <laughs> hey. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna be really naughty here. I, I've left the ice cream on the bench. And I better put it in the freezer. No, that's know. fine. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Probably too late, but I'll, um, because my my wife went out tonight out for dinner, and I sneakily got some ice cream. But I, started, <laughs> um, I thought I better hide that, put it away before she comes back. It's funny because I do the same thing. If she goes out, I, I would get like a takeaway or something, uh, <laughs> and then get rid of all the evidence before she comes home. <laughs> now next time she goes to the ice cream it's going to be oh, how come this is melted <laughs> um, so brilliant I'll, I'll pass that on to her um, so we've only yeah. got a couple a couple more things to go I hope you're okay for time uh, yeah no good mate I'm you sure brilliant thank you so the next part is, is, is what I would call a story time yep so I want if, if, if you can, I would want you to take us on a journey, all right? Tell us about, you know, like one place in detail, about one or, or one adventure, you know, share with us as much detail as possible, you know, stuff that you were eating, uh, somewhere or something that you think everyone should try at least once in their life. What's your go-to travel story? Go-to travel story for others to go and experience. That kind of thing, it can be, or it can be somewhere that you have went that, you know, you, you love telling that story and it may be somewhere that not a lot of people get to go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've got quite a few. Where, where do you want to go? Uh, you pick. <laughs> you pick. Um, let's, let's pick. Wow. What about Papua New Guinea? Go for it. So Papua New Guinea was a trip where my very close friend who loves surfing in Bondi Beach here in Sydney goes, hey, I'm thinking about going with a couple of my mates to Papua New Guinea and going surfing around the islands. Do you want to come? And I went, Probably not, because I don't surf. <laughs> he said, no, please come. It's going to be an amazing experience. You can hang out on the boat. You can go into the islands and all that. Anyway, he talked me into it. 
So we went to Papua New Guinea. We, we flew in um, into Port Moresby. And then from there, we flew to KVN, um, which is a, a remote island on New Ireland, it's called. And then from there, we hopped on this boat. Um, there's about five guys, all surfers and a photographer, me, going along for the journey. And we took off on this boat and we started going quite remote into the North Rim Islands of Papua New Guinea. And a lot of people go, oh, I wouldn't go to Papua New Guinea. It's so dangerous. It's so full on. And yes, it is. It is, it is dangerous. Um, but I found that on the mainland. But in the islands, that was a whole new experience. And this, this boat we went on to was a, a tour. It was a surf tour. But they also do tours for non-surfers as well. And to go and experience island life was was really really cool the water in the ocean was 32 degrees celsius up to eight meters deep Whoa. so i just lived in the water it was just <laughs> cool and it's so untouched up there right so we would anchor the boat by an island and then all the guys would get their surfboards and they'll hop on their little dinghy and they'd just take off to the surf break out in the out, out in the ocean, but but I would go, hey, um, local, can I hop on your canoe and can you take me into your <laughs> island? So by myself, I'll just hop on this canoe and they'll take me into the island. And these, these little canoes were so skinny, about that wide. Enough room to stick your foot in that way, one behind each other. So you, you couldn't fit them, there's no room for that. You had to be like this. So you're balancing on this tiny little hull with one piece of wood and, and the ocean waves are sort of coming around you and stuff. And I've got a camera in my backpack. And luckily for me, I bought a waterproof bag that I put my camera into and then <laughs> um, so my bag got wet, but my camera didn't. But wow, you step onto these islands and suddenly all the locals start running up the beach towards you and they start to, um, they can't speak English. They literally just grab your hand and they start taking you into the island. Wow. And there was one island where I started to hear singing, hear singing. And we came across this um, church in the middle of this island. And the voices that I heard from there sounded something like out of Africa. Most incredible you know, beautiful, rich choir sounding like African voices. Yeah. I was just going, wow, this is just beautiful. You know, we're on this island, completely remote, in the middle of nowhere, and you could just hear this beautiful music coming out of this church. You know, I, I went closer to the church because I went, oh, I've got to get in there. I've got to experience this. And as I arrived, it finished. <laughs> and oh, I stopped. <laughs> but um they, they they it was amazing they um they took me all through their village and into the you know um experience and just met so many kids and, and people and walked through the jungle and i went deep into the jungle at one moment and came across all these all these papua new guinea men and and the men there um are like you know island warriors they're, they're pretty serious i don't know if you've seen the maoris in new zealand yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> These guys have got physiques. Um, but they all had machetes. Like, <laughs> machetes, right? And I went, oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> hello, bro. <laughs> um, they were cutting up trees and, and bushes and that. But they were, they were great. You know, they were, they were smiling and having a laugh, you know, with them. I mean, you hear, you hear stories in Papua New Guinea where, where you know, cannibalism and, <laughs> and they kind of like kill each other. But um, it was fine up in these, these islands. I felt totally safe. Me, me again going in knowing there's nothing going to happen here. <laughs> but, oh, what a great experience. I think it's just, it's quite cool experiencing, um, you know, where people live on an island like that. This, these islands are, you know, beautiful white sand beaches with, palm trees and coconuts and you can just walk into 32 degrees water and you got incredible coral tropical fish it was it was stunning absolutely amazing um so i i think that's a quite a cool experience you know and anybody in the world can hop on that boat yeah and go and spend a week on this boat going around all these islands you know, at night time, you get invited into the village and they do put on these dances for you around bonfires and sing and dance and all that kind of thing in, in, their, in their outfits. So that, that's really cool. So that's a really cool experience. I mean, I've got in my heart, I want to do a documentary on, on the kids in the islands. I think it'd be a really fun, fun thing to show the world, you know, um, a different way of life. Um, yeah. It's very, very poor up there. They live in literally grass huts on these islands. They get hit by storms and hurricanes, you know, coming through. An interesting thing that happened there back in the war was that all the Japanese fleets came through there. And um, we heard stories where they thought that the, the earth was going to end because they saw this a, a battleship come into their harbour and they've never seen anything like that before. Um, and they all freaked out. And I had this, the, the, the owner of the boat that we are on showed me a photograph, and I've got this photograph. And it's a famous World War II photograph of these um, American bombers bombing these battle, Japanese battleships in this harbor. And you can, it's a photo taken on the plane, and you can see the missiles coming out, dropping out of the plane, and about 100 feet above the boat just before they hit the boat, this photo was taken and you can see the seamen on the boat looking at like this in shock, about to be blown up. And it's this photograph, incredible photograph. And, and, and we went snorkeling around that ship in the harbor wow. there. And it wasn't just any harbor, it was like in the, in the middle of the ocean, <laughs> up in these really remote islands. Um, but yeah, and you come across these sort of tanks and you know, gun shells and things like that on the islands where the literally armies came through, whole fleets came through and they just sort of took over these islands with, with, the, um, with the locals there, you know, it's, um, quite a, quite, it was quite a horrendous time for them yeah. um, at that time. Can you imagine? They said they they said that they thought the world was ending when these battleships came into. They'd never seen anything like it. Yeah, it must have been must have been petrified. Yeah, but you know, it's an interesting culture, an interesting place to go if you want to experience islands and you know, um, 
Papua New Guinea. It's, it's quite cool. I'm going to go to Solomon Islands next as well. I mean, that was that was one story. There's, I've got amazing stories in the Himalayas where we came across these monasteries of nun girls, um, Buddhist nuns. That's another story I want to go back and tell. Incredible, um, pure place where they're just completely isolated from the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, I like to go to countries that don't really have much tourism. So, yeah. hard to recommend <laughs> a place to go for tourism. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of places I haven't seen either that I want to go. I would want, love to go to Jordan. There's one country I want to go to. I'd love to go to Afghanistan, Pakistan. Yeah. I'd Pakistan, I'd love to go there as well. Have you been to Scotland? Uh, I haven't been to Scotland. You know, my whole family is from England. They were born in London and Brighton, but I haven't been to Scotland. Definitely want to come to Scotland. My wife has just arrived home. <laughs> Hello. Hello, how are you? James. I'm great, thank you. James from Scotland, nice from to meet Scotland, you. From Scotland, yeah. Nice <laughs> to meet you too. You've got a, you've got a beautiful home. Thank awesome. you. It's a bit of a... a, bit of a Love it's project. my wife's project, yeah. <laughs> you're like me, you just do what you're told. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. She's good like that. <laughs> Resistance is futile. It's <laughs> <laughs> called keeping the peace. How, yeah. how was your dinner? Sorry? How was your dinner? Oh, it was actually really lovely, thank you. Catching up with some girlfriends. <laughs> oh, food. You, you should ask her... What, how, how come she lets me go on these crazy trips and, and not worry so much? Yeah, I know. <laughs> how can I convince my wife to do it? My <laughs> wife, <laughs> wife um, rides a trials bike. Oh, really? How cool is that? Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. I'm not quite that adventurous. I've normal motorbike. Actually, Amanda's got a motorbike. She's got a Vespa. Oh, wow. And she likes to ride motorbikes. Yeah. yeah, I do. We're yeah. waiting. We're planning one, hopefully. In Kyrgyzstan, yeah. that's yeah. the idea. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one you can tell your viewers, is one thing that I'd love to do is take my family, we've all got motorbike licenses now, and we go to Kyrgyzstan. I found a motorbike tour company there. They can hop on these motorbikes, and the roads there are just beautiful, long, tarsial roads that go over mountains of no traffic and go to the World Nomad Games, high up into the mountains, Look, Google World Nomad Games and check out looks what they do. So you stay in yurt um, tents, uh -huh. these beautiful big yurts, and they they kind of, um, you go inside, they're all blankets, and it looks like the most comfortable room you could ever be in. Um, and then you, you, you can just walk around these games, and they have all the nomad countries as like, Turkestan, there's Russia, there's Mongolia, there's Kyrgyzstan, all these um, countries that we don't know much about, but they have these world nomad games. And they do things like, you know, they play soccer on horses with a dead goat's head, you know, as a soccer ball. It's, it's those kind of things. They have these massive big eagles that they, they do sport with. Like they'll, they'll get the eagles to go and fly off and get a, a rabbit or something like that and, and have yurt building competitions. Now where there's <laughs> local, um, 
they all wear their local cultural dress. You know, they they have their little areas for each of the countries, and you go into their areas and they have all their crafts and all their all their dress, and that's that's actually a really amazing thing to do. You can yeah. tell you tell your listeners to to go can go and do an event. You're telling them. Yeah. Yeah. We, I, I really had a great experience. I thought, this is cool. And I was like, I was walking around and I was flying my drone over the games. And I thought, There's nobody going, hey, you can't fly drones here. <laughs> <laughs> and you can just walk around the stages and stuff like that. And there's only probably about 300, 400 people there, you know, on the wow. stage, kind of watching the these games. And it's amazing. And he, you look it up and you look at these photographs of these girls that are doing handstands and doing bows and arrows with their feet upside down and incredible guys on fire riding horses that's pretty cool too you should wow. see those photographs yeah we, we we have uh we have the highland games in scotland where we uh we chuck wood yes uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> And you wear kilts. Yeah, kilts. <laughs> uh, but if you ever get the chance to come to Scotland, um, which if, if, please, uh, you need to do the North Coast 500. If you've not heard it, you need to Google it. What right? is it? So it's where you travel from the West Coast of Scotland right up through the North and uh, back down the East. And it's... 500 miles? 500 miles, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and you go on a motorbike or do bicycle? You can, you can do it on motorbike, you can do it in car, you can do it, um, you know, me, my wife and my daughter, we done it last year. Um, we just packed up our car, slept in the car overnight and just... How went. cool is that? The um, coastline would be amazing. Oh, it was, we, we actually did an extra night. So we went up into uh, what's called, uh, an island called Sky, and then up, <laughs> into, up into Portree. Um, We've got a friend who lives on Sky. Oh, have you? Yes. Takes the most incredible photos. It's such a um, such a unique landscape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what's that's what the North Coast Five Hundred's like. Oh. It's just it's yeah, amazing. And is it, you stay in the villages during the night? You can do so. There's um, like you can get like little glamping pods. There's campsites. Um, yeah, it depends how you want to stay. You can wild camp. Um, it depends what you want to do. Yeah, I'm guessing you, you need to pick your time of year. It depends <laughs> what you're looking for. So we went... With snow, you go in the winter. <laughs> yeah, if, if you want it with snow, I think that would be amazing. Um, yeah. Towards the end of the year as well, once you get up into uh, John O'Groats, you would get the Aurora Borealis, so you get the Northern Lights as well. Yeah, that'd be wow. cool. That'd be beautiful. Um, but they've got like they've got like chalets and things like that face out over the over the cliffs so you can see like right off land's end kind of thing um but we went and the de there was deer just standing in the road and, and obviously it's getting more popular now with the more people that are doing it but they didn't know what we were they didn't they were just standing yeah. there looking at us in the middle of the road and some of the shots that we got like i i um i don't have a, a proper camera um, so I use my phone um, or my drone. So do I when I'm at home. <laughs> <laughs> so I use my phone and my drone. Um, okay. Great. So yeah, I mean, some of the pictures. Don't get me wrong. Some of the photos have got decent enough cameras for 
for uh, yeah. for everyday kind of pictures. But um, yeah, I've always wanted to go to Scotland. I mean, I love. I love. You've been there, haven't you? Yeah, Come. I have. I only went sort of went to Edinburgh and sort of up from England and Edinburgh and back. Mm. But our friend in Sky is just. Yeah, and watching his photos. Yeah. We've, it's Very dramatic of, and we really, really want to go there. wild. Yeah. Come to Scotland, I'll show you around. Yeah, amazing. Mm. Love to see it. I'll show you the best places. <laughs> 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 Nothing like home. <laughs> <laughs> we've, um, we, we do a lot of hill walking. Um, so we were up uh, the last couple of weekends, we've got up at three in the morning. Yeah. Um, and we go and we, we, we try to get to summit for sunrise kind of thing oh, um, so we've done one called the cobbler you need to look at the images for that um, not, not, not my ones because my ones are rubbish uh, but the <laughs> Google, them, Google them yeah, <laughs> yeah Google them it's such an amazing peak it's, it's definitely one of the best in, in, in the UK anyway it's wow. amazing yeah but yeah yeah <laughs> Motorbiking, yeah, you need to get some motorbikes and go around the North Coast 500, definitely. Oh, yeah. You never know, I might have my licence by that point so I could join you. Yes. Is it <laughs> quiet? Like, are there, is there a lot of, not much traffic there around? Um, it it kind of depends when you do it. If you were doing it kind of like during a school week kind of thing, yeah, there's going to be a lot of traffic. If, you, if you've done it the now because of COVID, yeah, there would be a bit of traffic. But if you, if you timed it just right, of when everyone starts going on holiday again and nobody wants to stay in Scotland. You, yeah, you, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely times that you can you can do it, but regardless if there's traffic or not, you know, there's that much there that you can stop and see and there's that much that you want to stop and see. You, you, you could spend easily, you know, a week doing it. Mm. Yeah. Um, so well, it's... Definitely put it on the bucket list, the right? Bucket list. Yeah. <laughs> when the world opens up again and we can travel. Mm. <laughs> I know. What's the situation like over there for you guys? Is it is it starting to ease off? Is it? Like we're we're not too bad. Um, Sydney, we're getting about what six cases a day. We had three today. Three. Sorry, we're getting less and less, but Melbourne which is in Victoria, at the bottom of Australia, mm. they had a, a big second wave come through and they literally just shut everything down and all, all stay at home. Um, and New Zealand's the same as well. You know, they need a couple of cases and they shut the whole whole place down. Well, yeah, in Australia, they've pretty much closed off all the states completely. You cannot we go can't from go one to states. another. Um, about four states don't have any. And then one has it really badly. And um, We've got we, we just had a little bit of a... A, a little, little bit, bit of, of research, a search, but, but now it's gone back yeah. down. Just yeah. We're kind of going through that now. So we had a little peak uh, in Aberdeen mm. um, where there was a, a cluster of cases. So Aberdeen is, is currently back in, they're back in lockdown. Uh, yeah. the, rest of, the rest of Scotland is, is pretty okay. There's been a surgeons in England as well, uh, yeah. towards the, the north of England. Um, but apart from that, you know, we're, we're hoping to progress. Yeah, um, are you able to get out? What, what's your restrictions locally where you are? So we don't have any we don't have any restrictions on distance. Um it's more of a how many people we can meet up with, you know, we can go into a household but there can't be more than eight people in there and you still want to kinda I think it's more about just being or using common sense. So for, for mm -hmm. me, I wouldn't feel comfortable going to my friend's house and, you know, like big 
cuddle and everything like that because you know you're you're putting yourself at jeopardy. You're putting other people at jeopardy. And yeah. I think it's just about using using the noggin. It's a little bit of that of a little bit that it's our new normal, right? New and normal, we'll yeah. probably be putting spot fires out for quite a while. But like you said, as long as people are exercising that kind of yeah. caution, we have you know we have more chance of yeah. yeah. We have restaurants opened. Sorry, is it restaurants? Do you have restaurants open? Yeah, so we we actually went out for dinner last night. Um, we went to a sushi restaurant, um, and it was it was actually fantastic the way they did it. So you you booked in, you were only allowed so long to eat. Um, they only had about four tables. Uh, every, everywhere was you know there was there was more than two meters distance, and in between all the tables they had the big plastic shields. Yeah. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So it was actually wow. really good. Um, wow. That was. I was actually really impressed. Mm. Yeah. And do you guys have to scan the the bar, the code when you go into a restaurant? We have the scanning thing with your phone, so you just put it up to this this code, and door, it yeah. tells you what your name is, what's your phone number, you know, what's your where do you live. No, we're we're so far behind with technology. We still do the pen and paper. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we've got this. It's like a contact tracing thing, so that if it did happen, they know everybody was that there. was at the restaurant yeah. that yeah. night. So we we have that. We but we don't we don't have an app or anything. It's just they take our yeah. name and our number kind of thing. Yeah. Some restaurants are still doing that here as well. Yeah. yeah. And did yeah. you did you get any um any questions? Yeah, from yeah, so that's yeah, that's the next bit. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's have a look. So we have one here from uh, Matt, Matt is taking off. But... Oh, nice to meet you. <laughs> Lovely to meet you. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So the the questions for Instagram. Uh, so we've got one here from Moments of Creativity. Um, which is the question is with which people did you feel most connected? That's what it says peoples. So I don't know if they mean like a nation or Yeah. I I you know what? And this is this is this is a good question. I no matter what country it was, what religious base they were, um I I I always had a common thing of um, befriending, friendliness, and acceptance wherever I went. And there wasn't one country that really um, didn't exercise that with me. And that was that was really nice, you know. Yeah. Um, I love going to Bangladesh only because it's just such an epic <laughs> place for cinematography and, and storytelling. So I do have a bit of a heart for that, but. You know, I've been to Bangladesh three times now. I want to um, start exploring other countries as well. Um, India definitely started it off for me, I think. You know, me being a New Zealander, not really experiencing much of the world. I mean, I went to America, went to Turkey, a bit of Europe. But India really opened my eyes up of seeing... You know, I keep saying in one of my stories, it was, it was an explosion of all my senses. And it really was. The noise, what you saw, the, the crazy things you saw, the things you smelt, 
Um, just it's just his senses were just like on, you know, full full bore. <laughs> um, so that really sparked it off for me, and also thought, wow, this is such a beautiful, colourful, crazy, beautiful country with just so much depth and, you know, culture and history and all that was way beyond what I've experienced back at home. Yeah. And the people were, I could just walk up to anybody and just take, take a photo with them and they'll, they'll be accepting you know i remember just walking down the street or i walked into a slum and this lady just grabbed my hand and just she pulled me you know down down some of the the roads of the slum and to her house it was a cardboard box a cardboard box we went inside this cardboard box and we sat down there together and she made me a cup of chai we couldn't speak each other's language we just sat there and we drank chai tea together. And for me, that was just a beautiful moment of just, I don't know, it's just, um, that, was, that, was, that was just a really magical moment for me that just sharing a cup of tea with somebody like that, you know. Um, but yeah, I've experienced great things in all countries, you know. Morocco was harsh. Uh, we were out in the desert. We were in locations, you know, kids throwing stones at me. They're <laughs> <laughs> going past on motorbikes, but I think they're just doing that because they are naughty boys. Um, but that was um, harsh, harsh lands and rock and, you know, in Morocco. But still, you know, we have awesome experiences. We met this, met, met this guy, this old, old guy, this old Berber. Um, nomad and he's like in the middle of the desert and he he walks it takes him like nine months to walk to Mecca in in Saudi Arabia right from Morocco and he walks it with like bare feet and he goes to the Sierra to Mecca and he in this incredible stories this whole guy is like 70 80 years old you know the walking stick you know um, yeah Look, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't say any country don't go to, you know, every country has got its richness. Definitely, you know, you find gold everywhere you go, you know. So you just connect best with people, just in general. Yeah. 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 Uh, so the next one is from Daria Badi. Um, so she's asked, how much has your, your trip to Bangladesh changed you? Oh. Um, I suppose it's trips to Bangladesh. So Bangladesh, yeah. So, I mean, Bangladesh has changed me. I mean, it's, it's made me want to do more trips. It's definitely... Um, I love going there because of the culture and the people and, and that. Uh, how has it changed me? It's given me more of a passion to want to go and do more of this work. I wanted to go back there and tell more stories, take more photographs all the time. I could just, I could spend months there. There's just so much to see. That's the thing about Bangladesh. There's just so many levels of things to see and experience. You know? yeah. It's, um, I mean, it's changed me a lot because it's been my stories, which has kind of helped me with my career as well and what I'll do, you know. 
Um, yeah. Is that hopefully answer? <laughs> and I'm only going to ask you one more question, and it's from me. Um, so what? Where's next for Simon Lister? What's next? What's next for you? Well, I haven't really started it yet, but I'm planning. But I want to do some more documentaries, films. I think um, telling stories um, of epic stories, you know, stories that move the heart. Um, stories like Say Tales by Light. There's so many of those stories to tell. And I reckon like, when you go and watch Netflix and you go and watch these platforms, there's a lot of cooking shows. Yeah. There's a lot of, lot of, you know, natural wildlife sort of shows. There's lots of house building shows. But it's not much on humanity, you know? Yeah. And we've got billions of people in this world and a lot of them have got incredible stories of survival, incredible stories of who they are and what they do. I, I would love to do, I'd love to do a series on really interesting stories of humanity in all different regions and cultures around the world. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm, I'm sort of would love to do over, over the, sort of the next sort of 10 years is to maybe do a couple a year. Awesome. Um, I'm starting to organize that now and we'll <laughs> see how that ends up. So if Netflix is listening, <laughs> get ready. <laughs> <laughs> And if, if you need, uh, if, if Netflix is listening and uh, you need a Scottish companion for, for Simon, <laughs> I'm, I'm available. Uh. <laughs> what, what's great is that, you know, during these times where I'm just sort of building up relationships and, and partnerships with, with like UNICEF and the United Nations, yeah. that, you know, they do have the keys to the doors to help open for us to go in and, and, and get, this, get these stories. Which is um, exciting. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. You know, we, I, I plant a seed in my brain and I just love watching grow and nurture into something. And I think, you know, just starting an idea and just seeing how that starts to unfold and lead into things, everything's, everything's happening that I've sort of dreamt about, you know, a year ago or two years ago, it's all starting to fall into place. So yeah, I'm 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 waiting for that those um, international departure gate to open, and I've got my next trip already. So, awesome, brilliant. Yeah. Um, listen, I, I honestly cannot thank you enough for for coming on the podcast. It has been an absolute oh, pleasure. Yeah. I have enjoyed fun. this it. so much. Um, Oh, it's God. funny because the last for the last like week I've been saying to my wife like I'm so nervous I'm so nervous about this one <laughs> like you know uh, you don't have to be nervous you're pro at this you've been doing this for nine months <laughs> um, but you're listen, master of your craft now so uh, I've still got a lot to learn a lot to learn um, yeah but you're doing it which is great <laughs> <laughs> but listen we definitely need to get you back on in the future when because I'm sure you've got a million stories still left to tell. Um, and I'm sure you've got a million more still to, to, to have. Um, so I'm happy writing some more. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely need to get you back on um, at some point in the future. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah.
Thanks for inviting me and, you know, go well with the show. It's, um, it's fun. It's, you know, I, I love telling my stories and I love hopefully, hopefully inspiring some people to, to go to Bangladesh or go to Papua New Guinea, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Wait till you see my selfie there. <laughs> yeah. I can see you surfing on the Papua New Guinea Islands. Oh, I'm, I'm a bit big to surf. Six foot three. I've not got the ball for it. <laughs> hey. I'm a bit tall. Well, you can across Kyrgyzstan and yes. go after the World Nobel Games. Absolutely. It's on the bucket list. My bucket I, I, list grows every episode. That's good. You got, you, you, I mean, you're only young, so you've got, you got plenty <laughs> of years. But I, I'm hoping that the World Nomad Games, for the next time, it gets so many people there because they've heard this podcast. And we Googled World Nomad Games and go, oh my gosh, let's go there. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that I could, could be on your show and thank you so much for inviting me. Well, can, so for anyone that, that's listening that's maybe not seen your stuff before or someone that you know wants to find you as a person, where can, where can they find you? Look, I'm probably mostly active on Instagram, but I do have, uh, which is Silista, S-C-I-L-I-S-T-A, or you can type in Simon Lister. Um, I've got a website, simonlisterphotography.com, and on there is um, a selection of probably some of my favourite photographs and some of my stories and some of my films on there. That's probably the best. I'm, I'm, I'm a little active on Facebook, but not much. <laughs> I just, um, it's, it's, it's just finding time to manage. Just the Instagram is enough for me at this stage, but um, that's probably the best. And probably the best place to find me is on Netflix, on, on the show, <laughs> Tell by Light. Season three, episodes one and two. There you go. <laughs> and uh, I will link everything in the description below. So anyone that's looking for anything or Simon's, I'll, I'll even, I don't know how successful I'll be with linking the Netflix stuff, but I'll try it um, and see how right. it goes. Uh, or maybe and I can just link the, the YouTube uh, the YouTube trailers for it and people can find it there. I think you can share, can't you share a link off Netflix off the app? Doesn't it have a, um, a link share on that? I'll definitely have a look at that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it, I think it does. <laughs> we did screen, screen, screen grab of it and stuff like that. Listen, thank you very much for joining me. Um, You're welcome. And you can't laugh at my cheesy side offline. So uh, until the next <laughs> time, you keep travelling and I'll stay <laughs> static. <laughs>